Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. I'm Glenn Mack now joined by my pal Jody McDonald on this Sunday morning. And in the end, Jody, the Phillies lose yesterday 16-3. to uh, the bullpen gets pounded for 11 runs in three-plus innings. Sir Anthony probably ruined his ERA for the entire season. Uh, Zach Wheeler had problems with both the strike zone and umpire C.B. Buckner. And in two games in Texas, the Phillies have given up 27 runs. Uh, I'm going to tell you how bad that is in a moment. But they say, Jody, that baseball is a marathon, not a sprint. That you still have 160 games to play, that you... You can't win a pennant in April. I guess you can lose one. Uh, and, and Jody McDonald, you, my friend, are among the most rational, level-headed people I know. You are not prone to emotional decisions or rashness. So, Jody McDonald, would you please talk to the listeners, talk to the fans, and, and maybe even to a lesser extent to me, and talk us off the ledge as we start the show this morning. Uh, I surely will, and I'm going exactly where you just laid it out that you expect me to go. I'm going to do just that. I will mention that the infinity signal or sign, whatever you want to call symbol, yeah. does not look good in a box score, and that's what <laughs> Sir Anthony's ERA is. <laughs> infinity. Uh, yeah, that, that, that one is kind of tough to swallow. But, yes, exactly what you just said. It's two of 162. Yeah. We got a whole lot of baseball left to play. I, I'm not planning on junking my next six months and trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do with myself between now and October, or at least September when the Eagle season starts. Uh, no, yeah, they got off to a bad start. They're two aces, and yes, I called them both aces, neither of which pitched like an ace the last two days was pretty disturbing. Um, the bullpen, Sir Anthony is and his infinity ERA, and Craig Kimball and uh, Gregory Soto and a whole bunch of other guys that were expected to improve the Philly bullpen were putrid the last couple of days. When Josh Harrison is coming out of the pen and getting the job done more so than guys that you're expecting to get it done all year, uh, yeah, it's a bad sign. It's two games. Relax. Last year, the Phillies won their first two games. They're playing the A's, who proved to be uh, the second-worst team in all of baseball, and then proceeded to lose eight of their next ten. Did we panic last year? No. We fired Joe Torre is what we did. Um, But uh, uh, Did I say Torre? Sorry, Girardi. Um, We never fired Joe Torre. My father fired Joe Torre once, so I can't say say never. Um, 
That's yeah, I, he was really Joe Torre, though. Well, yeah, he was, but he talked my father into trading for both Willie Montanez and uh, uh, the, the third baseman, the left-handed in third baseman, former Philly, former Pirate. What? Richie Ebner. Couldn't think of his name. Thank you yeah. very much. Uh, yeah, Torrey loved both of those guys. He talked my father into trading for both of them, and they both got the most insignificant 75 RBIs ever had in a season in Major League Baseball for the Mets. Um, but I digress. All right, they're 0-2. Yeah, it was ugly. They didn't just lose. They lost badly. They lost ugly both the last two days. Don't panic. Let, let, let's let it breathe a little bit. Take a big step back. See if they can, if this goes over a week. All right, the, if it goes over two weeks now, I'll throw up a uh, caution flag. Two days, not panicking, not uh, going nuts. I will, again, cut Dave Dombrowski slack because here's uh, – the thing that I've been most um, caustic about for the Phillies during this offseason was their overhyping of Andrew Painter that they just made this kid into a superstar before his time, and he's going to have a spot in the rotation. Unbelievable 19-year-old. He's 19. I think they mishandled that, and I have called uh, the Philly organization and Dave Dabrowski on the carpet for that. Building a bullpen is the toughest thing on the planet to do. Year in and year out, you try and do it. you got no idea. Up and down seasons, uh, uh, just tough to predict what they're going to do. Yeah, the bullpen for two days was god-awful. How many uh, calls did you field, Glenn, Saturdays with Mike or Sundays with me? Oh, the improved Philly bullpen. What a job by Dave Dombrowski, the bullpen he put together. This is unlike years where we got no chance. We go, oh, this is bad. The bullpen has been horrific for two days. Well, let me say, and and I was of the mind that he did do that, although I feel like, yeah, I think I said that last year. And, like, yeah, I think I said that the year before. I feel like every year they get these new guys for the bullpen. They're like, oh, it's going to be much better. And this year does promise to be that way. <sighs> Not so far. No. Not ter- so far. Just don't go terrible. So yeah. I'll, l- l- let's see if it stays that way after uh, four games, after eight games, after 12 games, after 20 games. I'm not going off the deep end after two games. No. I'm sorry. I'm okay, just not good. doing it. Well, that's what I was hoping you would do. And I will say, I'm just going to give you this, this the circling back, this stat. Uh, and Matt Gelb put this out. Matt Gelb is going to be joining us later in the show, uh, baseball writer, Philly's uh, beat writer for the, uh, the Athletic. In the last 120 years of Major League Baseball, the only team to allow more than 27 runs in its first two games was the 1951 St. Louis Browns. I looked that up. They went 52 and 102. Satchel Page was on that team, actually, at age 45. So. Um, yes, Jody, the, pitcher, the pitchers were – wild the defense was sloppy and as you mentioned it got so bad that we saw the old Gabe Kapler surrender of let's put a position player in there Josh Harrison which I always hate um and I don't want to put too much importance on game three because it's still the first week of the season but I do think I do ask you can you imagine what the call-ins are going to be and the hosts are going to be tomorrow morning if they lose again tonight Sunday night baseball Battle of the left-handers, Bailey Falter and Martin Perez. Um, Phillies, uh, interestingly, want to save uh, Taiwan Walker for the series opener in Yankee Stadium Monday because the Yankees have that right-handed hitting lineup. Um, Okay, so here's what I want to do. I got about 20 questions or so, really some of them that we may have gotten to last week, but kind of the season-opening questions that I hope uh, are – 
equally relevant after they did get pounded these first two days. And they're for you and they're for the listeners, callers, uh, about who this team is and really what this team can be over, well, the next 160 games. <laughs> so these questions are going to be all over the place, every aspect of the team. And let's begin, Jody, with one that looks a little bit positive after two games. I don't know that you and I have talked about this in the last few weeks. Is Nick Castellanos going to have a bounce-back season? Now, two games, he's four for ten, had the two doubles yesterday. Uh, last season, his OPS was 694. Well, and his career average is 801. So he's over right. under or more than 100 points under his career OPS. We all know the narrative. He never got into the groove last year. The moving was tough. Had a baby, whatever. You know, players can be human beings, whatever. Sometimes free agent needs to adjust. So question number one on the day, will Nick Castellanos have a bounce-back season? All right, so you just gave two great numbers there. His career OPS and last year's OPS was 690-something and 801. What was the 694 and 801, yeah. 694. So dead in the middle of that would be... About 750. Do I think he can be above 750 this year with his OPS? No. No. I would go under. Um, (laughs) Slightly under. Um, He's not getting back to 800. He's not going to be 690-something again. If I had to use the dividing line of 750 and say under-over, I would say slightly under. I'm less optimistic about Castellanos than others are. I don't know that the whole transfer of cities and it was taxing on him. And uh, I, I, I'm just not buying into that because when he was first traded from Detroit to Chicago in the midst of a pennant race, he hit about 350 for the Cubs. So he has made transitions from team to teams before, and it hasn't been something that he couldn't overcome. Uh, I'm not as optimistic about Castellanos as some, of you, some other people are. Won't be as yeah, bad as he was last me. year, but he's not going back to uh, red all-star type numbers. Yeah, I think you're less optimistic than I am because when I look at his whole career last year's the only aberration, right? I mean, uh, and we'll, we'll stick with OPS as the number, which most people know at this point, on base plus slugging percentage, right? It's, the, it's really the most important stat for a hitter. So if I go since 2016, when he was with the Tigers, and that was his uh, really his third year when he kind of put it together, his OPS has been 827, 811, 854, 863. That's the year he got traded to the Cubs. That's the total year. Uh, 784 in 2020 with Cincinnati, 939 in 2021 with the Reds before he came here, and then 694 last year. So last year was the only – Really bad year he had among all of those. Uh, again, and we're not going to put much stock in two games, but it's nice to see him start out the year four for nine with three doubles. I'll say he does bounce back, and I'll say if 750 is the middle number, I'll say he goes over that, and maybe he goes over 800 because I can't think of any reason why he shouldn't. He's 31. He's not, he's not 37. He's not at the age where guys start to physically break down. If I see, you know, this is a good hitter's ballpark. So was Cincinnati, so was Detroit, the places he used to play. But it's a good hitter's ballpark. I can't come up with a reason why he shouldn't rebound. Yeah, you got a more optimism than I am. There's a lot of Philly players that I'm very optimistic about. 
Castellanos is not one of them. And you I loved think, him when he was in Detroit. Done? I think his career is going in the opposite direction, yeah. Uh, I think we'll never see a 900 OPS again like he put up in Cincinnati. Well, 800. I think that was. I mean, I'd be, okay, not 900, but 800 is his is his career. Career. You don't yeah. think you don't think he can go back to what he was? Is there a reason you think he can't do it? You just think he, what you saw last year indicates it? Yes, that I think unfortunately everybody's on a career uh, path and curve, and I think he's trending down. Huh. Okay. Uh, by the way, I didn't give the numbers. 215-592-9494. We're going to get into a lot of things as the show goes on. We'll mention him coming up at the end of the segment. But a lot of a lot of Phillies projections and conversation and what we think they will be. And like Jody, I advise you not to panic over the first two days, although both of those games became so freaking unwatchable. You wait all year for the opening of the season, like, oh, it's appointment TV. And, like, they're down 11-3. to three. It's the fourth inning. What the heck? All right, so here's another one, and this is one I know we have discussed, and this is one that has been really probably uh, among the largest uh, issues that's been speculated on. Uh, I'm, we're going to go back to Bohm, uh, who started the season with a home run, and what did he start? A home run, a single, and a double, right? Or a home run, a single, and a right. triple? I forget. Yeah, yeah, he was a triple short of the cycle. Yeah, yeah. and it had a great first day. Um, yesterday, 0 for 3. Yesterday, interestingly, he played third, but he also played a little first, which is something that we have discussed. Will he play some first this year? And he had 13 home runs this year, last year, excuse me. Let's put the over-under for Alec Bohm at 20 home runs. Will he clear that? Over. Oh. Easy. Not even Easy. close. Easy. Easy. 25 uh, would be my number. And the possibility of getting to 30 is not out of reach. I think Bohm is going to flash his, his power big time this year. The opposite field home run that he hit uh, on opening day was tremendous. Uh, Alex Bohm, over the last couple of seasons, uh, it could have gotten a base hit there. He could flick his wrists and just get it over the second baseman's head and drop it into short right field for a single and keep the inning alive and moving in the line. He just, oh, and I know, the faster it comes in, the faster it goes out. But he took a DeGrom fastball and went the other way and deposited it in the right field seats. He w- impressed the snot out of me all throughout spring training, and game number one didn't do anything to temper my os- optimism. As uh, glass half empty as I am on Castellanos, I'm more glass half full on Alec Ball. Interesting. I'm going to take slightly under, which does not mean I think he's going to have a bad season. I think he's going to have a really good season. I'm going to say he hits 18 home runs, but I'm also going to say he hits 35 to 40 doubles, and I'm going to say he hits over 280, maybe even 300. I think he's going to be a really productive hitter. I just don't know that I see him as a big-time power hitter. I see him as a guy whose game is certainly picked up. His defense picked up last year. Uh, I think he's kind of dealt with some of the holes in his swing. Uh, as you said, does does much better against fastballs. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't chase pitches as much as he used to. He hits the ball to all fields. I do believe that Alec Bohm is going to have a very good year, maybe challenge for the All-Star game. I haven't considered who were the third baseman in the National League before saying that, but I think he could have an All-Star type season. I don't know that it's going to translate into the power, but I will agree with you that he's going to have a big-time season. So. All right. I, I see an opportunity here for me to oh. cover my backside because the first three games, 
Certainly, Glenn Mack now in the lead, opening up distance between yours truly and and G Mac on the stolen base stuff. Attempts oh, yeah. are up by more than one hundred percent. You yeah, have a I, nice. I, I, I was waiting to spring that one for two, later. Two but, days yeah. in, yes, I, yeah. I have uh, kept an eye on the stolen base attempts. Alex Alec Bohm against uh, Nick Castellanos. More home runs. I'm taking Bohm. You just told um, me that you think Castellanos yeah, has a yeah, bounce like back year. Okay, and like Bohm will not hit for power, specifically power. I'll take Bohm to have more home runs than Castellanos. Okay, I, I, you know what? I'll do, I'll do that because okay. we're not betting. And the reason I like that bet is we're not specifically betting against. We're not rooting for somebody to fail. If you know right, what I mean. there, there's an upside to it. Yeah, on, yeah, on one side or the one, other. Yes. Yeah. Right. Nobody has to lose. My guy hits 32. Your guy hits 34. I won't be that broken up. Exactly. Uh, okay, what are we betting? Because we have that dinner on the other. Yeah, same, same thing. Same thing? Yeah, okay. I'll cover. Uh, uh, right. I'm going to have to take a loan if I, I lose both, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. Because uh, I'm, well. I'm, fe- I'm feeling shaky about the first wager, so I need to get a winning one on my side. <laughs> okay, I'll do that. Make sure you record it, because I have so many damn bets going, there's no way I'm going to remember them all. So I trust you to record it, whether we win you got or it. You, you do it. Okay, there you go. Um, okay, uh, I like that bet. And and listen, if Alec Bohm ends up hitting 28 home runs, I will not be that upset about that. That would be perfectly fine. Uh, let's sneak one more in here then before we uh, go to the first break, set up the rest of the show. Let us go to Trey Turner, who, God, I love that guy. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've always bought into the theory of, and maybe this applies to Castellanos, that, and it did apply to Bryce Harper, if you remember, when free agents move over to another city, they often don't play up to expectations the first year and then rebound and give you that, right? So I bought into that a little bit. I don't think that's going to happen with Trey Turner. I think he's just going to have a great year. So I, I have kind of two, two over-unders I got here. One is stolen bases. Now, Matt Gelb, again, we're going to have him on later. He put it at 39.5. I think that's way high. I think there's going to be a ton of stolen bases. I think he's going to steal bases, but I don't think they have many. You know what, you know what I noticed is he wears the, the double oven mitts when he's on base? You see that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think – oh, I, I got it. <laughs> I don't blame him. You hate it because it looks stupid, or why do you hate it? No, because A, it looks stupid, and B, to me, it's cheating. And if you want to get into it, we can. Yeah, Uh, Yesterday, C.B. Buckner was uh, as outrageously bad behind home plate as I've seen in a long time. And uh, I don't know how he continues to umpire. And the, don't don't take this as an excuse as to why the Phillies lost. The Phillies got beat because their pitching was just god awful, and they deserve to be zero and two. But C.D. Buckner was a disgrace yesterday with the way he called balls and strikes. Uh, Major league umpires uh, more pressure on him this year with the play with the pitch clock and calling balls on guys that aren't happy about it. And I was watching one game. I forget was it. It might have felt that Valdi tried to beat the pitch clock by saying, oh, I can't hear in my pitch com ear. So that's why. And yeah, yeah, the umpire, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's the only thing C.D. Buckner got right was he goes, no, it's a ball. You can't go when the clock hits zero. Oh, I can't hear the catcher at that point. So they're putting a lot of pressure on the umpires to do it. This is something I think they have to call. If you're not going to outlaw the, the oven mitt on the base pats, then the umpires need to at least be instructed 
until they get to a certain point on the mitt on their hand, it shouldn't count. Oh, you're saying it's an extender. Since when do you get to extend your hand? Yeah, this is not uh, Gizmo Gadget where your your fingers could grow uh, and and you can get to the base quicker than you do. I I think it's terrible. I think it, you're you're cheating the game. It, I know they're not going to say anything against it because it's protecting the players' hands and they want to keep stars safe. And I understand that, but I, you got to give them some some subjectivity as to when the actual glove starts and when the hand begins. I, I, I uh, This has bothered me for years. I'm surprised you and I haven't talked about it before. But I think Trey Turner and every other guy who wears the oven mitt's a cheater. So the bases are now three inches larger. And with that, he's like three inches closer. He, he, he could get 80. Forget about yeah. 39 and a half, Matt Gell. Put it at <laughs> 79 and a half. Okay. Uh, I I hear your point. I had not considered that, but that's certainly a legitimate a legitimate point of view. Maybe those things have to be restricted in how large they are or whatever. But, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, so I'm going to put it at 35, but I have a second one with him, which I think is even more important, which is 700 plate appearances. Because, to me, if Trey Turner stays healthy, bats leadoff, and is – a huge part and get 700 plate appearances that's going to translate into a lot of wins so let, let's do them both 35 steals plus over under that's a good number um probably under but wouldn't be surprised by over at all uh i think he's going to try a lot and i think he's good enough with the other mitts he could get them uh i think you put out a very good number i think it's right around 35 if you okay. say jody come on make a call I'll go over, but I'll go over tentatively. Okay. I'll say it's – well, I like the number because I made it, and I'll say slightly under just because I think he's going to not want to get injured, and he's only going to steal when they really need it. Uh, 700 plate appearances. To me, that's a that's a big number for them yeah. for them to have – I know it's a high number, but I think it's a reachable number, and one, if, they, if, if he reaches it, they're going to be really good. Uh, I'll go under on that one, and I'm perfectly fine with 650. If he's down near 600, that's not good enough. That means he had a significant injury and he missed some important time. Nobody plays 162. Basically, nobody even plays 155 anymore. Um, The way that he plays the game, like you note that he's aggressive and the like, he's probably going to get an injury here or there, maybe not an IL injury, but uh, give him a day, give him two days type thing. So I'd say under 700, but if he gets 650, that bodes very well for the Phillies. I'm perfectly fine at 650 plate appearances. Last year for the Dodgers, 708. Uh, Let me see. Let's go full season. 2021, 646. He missed 14 games. Uh, 28, 2019 was a full season, right? 2020 right. was the, the COVID, COVID. 2019, just 569. He was heard the year before that, 740. So uh, it's kind of half the years he's doing right. it. So, okay. it, it. Anywhere between 650 and 700 is good by me. Okay. All right. Uh, let me see. Well, that ought to do it. And, yes, you mentioned the stolen bases, and they are way up. Uh, I, don't, I do bring this up in part to talk about our bet, which is I bet you they'd be up more than 10% this year. I will tell you that I think so far Philly's getting crushed in two games aside. I've tried to watch a lot of baseball over the last three days. I'm really excited about what I'm seeing, Jody. I think the game is is a lot better. Uh, I think that it's moving faster, which is good. I think the elimination of the shift is already showing that guys are not just going for home runs but trying to hit it into the hole 
uh, or trying trying to get their natural hit through through you know, like between first and second. Left-handers, I think the steals are up. I think I just I'm really enthused by what I see so far. Again, three days of baseball in March and April doesn't tell you the whole season. And maybe I've just been missing baseball a lot, but just curious what you've – Philly's getting crushed aside, your opinion on what you've seen. Don't hold me to this. I'm pretty sure about it, but if you know for sure, please tell me and or correct me. Uh, the Phillies had Rob Manfred on their television broadcast. Uh, yes. The first game yes, of the season. Yes, they did. And I believe it was like in the third inning. It was early in the game. So uh, Aaron Nola had lost. things collapsed. Yeah, Aaron Nola hadn't lost it yet. So uh, it might have even been the third inning, which was Aaron's last good inning before he blew up in the fourth. And I thought it was ironic that they bring Manfred in and they ask him a couple of questions. And then the inning ended. Yeah, And it, it went so quick that they right. only got two questions in for him because baseball has done exactly what Rob Manfred wanted it to do, which is pick up the pace and play faster and get it over. Oh, Rob, thanks for coming in. Sure, we'll see you later in the year. And they kicked him out of the booth, which was great. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so far, so great. The pitch clock has been very effective. A couple of pitchers have had an issue with it, very few. And, oh, by the way, uh, both Wheeler and Nola, there are some media t- members that I've read and or heard that well, I think they both had issues with the pitch clock. Suck it up. No excuses. No explanations. Aaron Nola fell apart. Zach Wheeler did not pitch well. Neither of their aces did what they were supposed to do first time out of the season. Don't be leaning on the pitch clock as an explanation or an excuse. You had all spring training to work it out and get it together and understand how to handle your business going forward. I'm not buying any of that. They just both had bad days. Am I projecting doom and gloom because of it? No, I'm not. But at least uh, own up to it. Own your uh, mistakes for your first outing of the year. They both stunk. But I uh, love what the pitch clock is doing to Major League Baseball. I love all these rule changes. I think the game, which was at a low point, has the opportunity to really come back this year and be a lot of fun. And presumably the Phillies will be part of that. So bring us your prediction. Bring us the over-under you want. You can discuss any of the ones that we're going to put out there today. We're going to really try to break it down and give you – I know we're two games into the season, the Phillies play tonight, but kind of a season preview of what we expect from everybody on the team. And you can bring us your fear and your angst, and Jody McDonald will talk you off the ledge, as he did to start the show. We promise you that. We've got a couple of good guests. Aforementioned Matt Gelb at 11. He's got his whole series of Phillies over-unders. And our old friend Adam Kaplan is going to join us at noon. Adam on Sirius Radio he does the Inside the Birds podcast with Jeff Mosier, really smart football guy. We're going to talk about everything the Eagles have done. Uh, and moving ahead, what's going to happen with Jalen Hurts' contract? What does he foresee, foresee for the draft? All of that good stuff. So join us, 215-592-9494. He's Jody Mack. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Wide up in the 3-2. And that one That's a strike. is another one missed by C.B. Buckner. I mean, he split the plate, and it was right at the knees. Yep. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jody. C.B. Buckner was just terrible yesterday. He was. Uh, and when Wheeler, again, Wheeler pitched poorly, so he, he, he lost on his own volition. But when he left, he, he, he looked at C.B. Buckner and shook his head, which I thought was, was kind of funny. And nice job, of course, by Fransky and Kevin Stocker. It is at moments like that, though, however, where Larry Anderson is at his optimal. And you, <laughs> you, wish, you wish it was Larry Anderson day. Right. Uh, by the way, just real quick aside, uh, personal note, Fransky and L.A. beer is now being brewed by Conchock and Brewing Company. Nice. And that charity beer will be out by the end of the month, so I'm very excited about that. If and All when right. you ever have me back for what's brewing again, um, and after my performance without being able to uh, pick my Budweiser out, uh, if you don't bring me back, I don't blame you. But if no. you do, yeah. I will absolutely demand that the uh, Fransky and L.A. beer be part of the show in some way, shape, or form. All right, well, a couple things. One, you were on last night. And, and, oh, the, uh, the sec- I didn't embarrass myself near as much in the second episode. No, as you're I great. Did the first. You didn't embarrass yourself at all. You were great. And, and uh, for people who didn't get it, it's going to run again, I think, Tuesday at 7.30. It repeats a few times during the week. I'll see if I can find it. But I think Tuesday at 7.30 is one of the times it will repeat. Uh, just put it on record, Jody. Just put it on your DVR and start recording. But you were yeah, great I, last night. And, I, and, I, and you tried new beers that you had never tried, which I thought was a lot of fun. A pastry stout and a sour and all that stuff out of your wheelhouse. You were great with it. Uh, and the second thing is mark this date on your calendar, June 8th. We are going to have a big Fransky in L.A. release party nice. and big charity event with all those celebrities, including, I hope, Jody McDonald. And, Ooh, I did uh, the Marilyn Mike one this year, so yeah. count me in for the Fransky yeah. in L.A. one, too. Yeah, and we did a charity night of drinking beer with you and I, and we'll do that again, I hope. Uh, anyway, that'll be June 8th at Conchock and Brewing in um, Bridgeport. So, okay. So Wheeler leaves. He stares down C.B. Buckner. He shakes his head. Jody, I got to tell you, I I heard Rob Manfred, not in his three-minute appearance on the Phillies game the other day, but on, I don't remember, TBS or something, where he said that the the automated strike zone, the ABS, automated ball strike system, is the next big thing on the agenda. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I I am past the point in my life where I think that the human error part of umpiring and refereeing is charming. I am sick and tired of bad umping. Will well, you go with me on this, Jody? I'm not there yet, but I'm headed. I'm trending in your direction, and because I have been one of those guys that the game is played by men, it should be decided by men. Players make errors. Players strike out in big spots. Players give up big home runs. Uh, that, that, that if it's a man who's playing the game, if not, we should all just get out our Nintendos and play the game uh, via our TVs. Uh, and that has been my take forever. But C.B. Buckner just makes it harder for me to go there. 
that he is so bad. And here's what annoys me. And if Rob Manfred was on the line with him, I'd hold his feet to the fire right now. We're told that the umpires are evaluated on a game-in, game-out basis. That there's someone in Major League Baseball's office that goes back over all the tapes and gives them grades after their game and points out where they were wrong. But what are the ramifications? We never hear about because umpires come and go and there aren't official announcements that C.D. Buckner is not doing this series because he was suspended for three games because of his god-awful calls in these games this year. We're never told that. So we just they just kind of come and go, and they've got off days, so the announcers don't really know, and they can't say, and oh, by the way, this crew is down one guy because he did a god-awful job. We never get that information. So I don't know whether they're held accountable for their god-awful days or not. Uh, I either want not. transparency or uh, get, get with the program here. Why don't we well, hold the umpires as responsible as anybody else? Um, well, because they're – well – uh, he should not be back year to year. Is to me is the answer, right? I don't. I don't know that you suspend him for a series, but to me, it's like, why is he here again? He was bad last year. He was bad the year before. Oh, that. Like that at the I end of explain. the year, they should clear out the ones who aren't good. Is to me the thing, and they don't. So, but let me let me give is, you the explanation on that. That I actually yeah. do know. Yeah. Much like college professors, umpires get tendered, uh, tenure. Tenured. And and their their um their union might be as good as the Major League Baseball Players Union, yeah. which is as good as there is in all of sports. The umpires union might actually be better. And they really do. They protect the snot out of their umpires and bad umpires stay around for not years, but for decades, and that's something that Major League Baseball hasn't been able a fight they haven't been able to win. They well, haven't been then able let's to get bring in the automatic ball and strike call. Yeah, it's just that, terrible. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. I really do feel strongly that we should never have automated ball and strike calling. But when C.D. Buckner is as pitifully bad as he was yesterday, it certainly makes the case for your side of the argument. And maybe I'm going to have to cave on this. Yeah, and I mean above and beyond that, and I think this is a real problem in the NBA, and I think this is a real problem in Major League Baseball. Now I don't see it in football, and I don't think I see it in hockey, but the ego of refs and umpires is something that has gotten out of hand. You know, you flash back to what happened in spring training last week when the ump threw Real Muto out for what was that? He threw him out for him. Turning, turning his glove. Yeah, and you see in the NBA all the time what really do appear to be personal grievances that referees have for players. And I know some players have mentioned it publicly uh, at the risk of drawing very high fines. And it's the cliche, but it's really true. Nobody comes to see the referee perform. Just back out, back down, guys. You know, check the ego. And I think it's a bigger problem, a bigger and bigger problem in sports. Please don't make me uh, defend umpires on a day where C.D. Buckner had the kind of game. Uh, that that's okay. We, we can here's, move on. Here's the, one, here's the one thing that I will say in defense of the umpires and the referees in the NBA. Uh, it's kind of like the pitch clock that I'm not allowing, at least in my mind, for the pitchers to be able to use it as an exp- excuse or an explanation. Everybody knew about it. Everybody was expected to adjust. And if you haven't adjusted yet, that's on you. That's not on Major League Baseball. That's not on the umpire. In uh, refereeing in both the NBA and Major League Baseball, and, and you got to be right down on the field, and I've asked a couple questions about this over the years, there are words you can't say. And you know you can't say those words. 
and you can say that uh, the sports have to adjust to this, that uh, the use of profanity is more liberal in our society than it used to be. There are magic words you can't say. And if you say those magic words, you know you're going to get either teed up, you're going to get tossed out, and some players just continue to do it. And I don't have a problem with that. Do you? That that there there is no. I, if you if you go, you know, mother bleep. I, yeah, yeah. I I I I hear they, that. They I still, think they still get a lot of that in the NBA. Uh, Guys okay. just flippantly use that, and and then they're shocked and taken a aghast because they got teed up on a play. Well, no, you shouldn't be aghast. You should know exactly why you got teed up because you used the magic word. I think both things can be true. I think what you're saying can be correct, but I also think what I'm saying is correct too. I think I think umpires are and and refs are just a little out of hand. All right, let's uh, let's go to Jeff in Buckingham. Jeff, what's on your mind today? Hi guys. Yesterday you were talking about the um, Sixers ownership, and I such a yeah. breath of fresh air because I can't. I think they're the worst owners in basketball. I just can't believe it. We've had media. I mean, the tanking. It just goes on and on. The draft picks. Well, I think you and I may have a separate issue with that ownership, but you go ahead, and then I'll give you my issue. With well, it. I, I believe they're in it to, you know, just to put people in the seats. They don't really care. They're not sportsmen. They're businessmen. They're, you know, as, you know. They, uh, they here, here's here's where I weigh in on that. And by the way, there's a lot of owners around sports that are businessmen and not sportsmen. But whatever. I think we are very lucky in this town in that uh, John Middleton uh, is is connected with the fans and very willing to spend money to win. Uh, I think Jeff Lurie has proven himself to be an excellent owner over his now more than 25 years as owner of the Eagles. I think we know the the mess that Comcast has with the Flyers. They just made a change on top, adding Dave Hilferty to run it. Uh, Dave Scott retires. Maybe that's going to make things look better. Here's my problem with Josh Harris, or one of my problems. He owns a piece of the New Jersey Devils, and he is now trying and, and is the lead candidate to buy the Washington Commanders. And I'll say this to you, and I'll say this to Jody, and I'll say this to everybody who will listen. You can't own both. He and Listen, he's got Magic Johnson in the group. He's got David Blitzer, one of the Sixers guys. I think owner's loyalty matters. I think when I say he has to be one of us, he doesn't have to be you know a fan and the old 700 level and drink beer at a tailgate. But he's got to be loyal to the town. You've got to be true to your school. And I said this yesterday when I was on with Mike, and I'll pose it to Jody, I'll pose it to you. So he's going to come in here when the Eagles play Washington, and he's going to sit in the visiting owner's box down in South Philadelphia, and then if the Sixers play, he's going to walk across the street and sit there as the owner of the Sixers. You can't do both. You have to sell the Sixers if you're going to buy Washington, and that matters a lot to me. Jeff, you go first, and then I'll I'll let I'll rant. Well, I'll mismanagement. All these years of mismanagement. It's just all those draft picks they blew. It just goes on and yeah, on and I on think, and on. I think I think your anger and thanks. I think your anger's a little bit misguided because they're a pretty good team right now. So I can't. You know, they have the third best record in the East. They're one of the top five teams in the NBA. However, Jody, sticking with my point. You can't own the Sixers in the Washington, uh, what the hell, Commanders. You just can't. I, I get your point, Mac. Here's my only issue with your point. He already owns the Devils. I know, we and I hate we that. Didn't, we didn't run him out of town when he became uh, majority owner of the Devils. And well, if you I, could I only own one it. team in one town, and that's it, and you can't have cross-ownership over different towns and different sports, 
if he buys the commanders, who cares? He already bought the Devils. I if, care. If he's, if he's he a shouldn't. bad guy because he owns two teams in two different towns, well, is why are we drawing the line at the well, uh, commanders? Okay. Let me why say didn't we things. draw the line when he bought the Devils? Well, allow me to say I drew the line and I ranted okay. about this before. Right. Although this is more egregious to me because it's the stinking why. It's like. It's and I know the Devils are a bit of a rival. I think he's a minority owner. I don't think he's a majority owner, but even if he is, whatever. Um, I if he wants to buy a soccer team in Europe, go for it. I don't care about that. It would even bother me not so much if he bought like the Kansas City Royals or something like you know what I mean. A team that like is irrelevant to us, a team that we just don't care about. That's in the other league that the, our team plays once. Whatever. It, it bothers me less. This is one step short and really kind of equal to buying the Dallas Cowboys. This is an arch enemy, and this is the NFL. This is, this is like the biggest insult you can have. Both things are wrong, and he shouldn't own the Devils. He shouldn't be allowed to own the Devils and the Sixers. That's just wrong. And to own Washington and the Sixers, that's like a mortal sin. The other is, I'm, sorry, I'm not Catholic, so help me out here. One's a venal sin Ven- and one's venial. a mortal sin. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, and, and again, uh, I don't want to play priest here on the show. That would be pretty <laughs> darn ironic. Um, I, I could see but you again, the, 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 the It, it kind of speaks to where the Flyers have fallen in this town. Yeah. They've played the Devils in postseason play. They've had huge I've, games in postseason against the New Jersey Devils in the last 20, 25 years. When have we played the Commanders slash the football team slash the Redskins in a big postseason game? I'm I don't I'm not excusing the, the the New Jersey thing. I'm not defending that. I think that's awful. But this one this one bothers me because he's looking to do it right now and he's gonna get it. The other one kind of snuck up on us, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> he just like bought into like a majority thing, a minority thing, and it just kind of happened. This one's got to go through the league and got to be approved. Jeff Lurie's got to vote for it. And well, like, they no. To, they had to do all those same things with the hockey purchase. I, I, I know we want to get Dan Snyder. Everybody wants Dan Snyder out of the league. But, no, you cannot own our team in this town, an important franchise, and then own that. You can't do it. No. That's if it. they let him get away with it with the Devils, they got to do well, the same wrong. thing with the Commanders. They, I'm not saying they. you're wrong. I agree with you. I don't like it, but yeah, you can't good. stop it. And Join it, my campaign. I, He's a bozo. He should sell the Sixers. So would you suggest Sixer fans not be Sixers fans because Josh Harris is <laughs> spit in the eye of Philadelphia sports I don't fans? Want to, no, they're going to the playoffs. I'm not okay, going to well, tell that. Then, I'm just going to say that, that the NFL I'm, I'm owners sorry, not allow outrage, it. Your outrage is not ringing true with me if uh, we're all going to the Sixers playoff games. Uh, well, that's, I, I, I cleared my conscience on that. That's all I Fair can. enough. 215-592-9494. Coming up, Jody, this date in Philadelphia sports history, I am going to take you back 31 years to a moment that was huge, turned out to be huge in Philadelphia sports. Didn't seem like a big deal at the time, and I actually got to be there to witness it. I'll tell you all about it. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, Sunday morning on 94 WIP. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, Sunday morning. Jody, time for this week in Philadelphia sports history. By the way, yesterday was the anniversary of Villanova beating Georgetown, 1985. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give something that happened on this date in 1992, a huge moment that impacted the town. And I was there to see it. Um, so this is the day that the Phillies traded for Kurt Schilling. 
And if you remember, Bat, he was a washout in Baltimore, and he was he didn't really make it as a closer in Houston, and he came here with a career record of four and eleven and a not a very good ERA. And they they dealt him for Jason Grimsley. You remember Jason Grimsley? Oh yeah, yeah. And it it was it was really seen at the time as nothing like two two guys who had good arms who hadn't really done anything, kind of being swapped for each other to see you know could one of them do any good. Oh, no, and, I, I thought, absolutely, I was on record, Glenn, that was a bad trade. I, <laughs> okay. I remember. This is early 90s. Might have even been pre-Mac and Mac. I think it, was. it was. It was 92, because I'm going to tell you, I, I was at the Empire at the time. It was 92. Right. So it was 1991. No, 92. Uh, uh, well, uh, no, I'm talking about 92. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse That's me. okay. Um, I was living in the condo that I bought when I first moved to Philadelphia before we bought. I got married and bought the house that I'm living in and broadcasting from today. And I'm watching a Phillies game. Maybe it's a Saturday afternoon. Grimsley's pitching. And he threw one of the scariest pitches I've ever seen in my entire life. He threw a sweeping curveball that the hitter didn't back off. He bailed out and went to his keister. That it the the ball broke so sharply that the batter thought it was going to hit him in the head, and he just flat out went down. And the home plate umpire, not C.B. Buckner, rightfully called it a strike because the ball moved so blatantly and yeah. came in from above, up like eye level, and way the heck inside, and it broke in on the inside corner, and he rightfully called it a strike. And the batter looked up and said, you're blanking kidding me. He used one of those words you can't use. That that, that the ball had actually, and I they showed a replay of it, and damn if it wasn't a strike. And I go, oh, my God, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone ever throw a pitch that broke as much as that pitch for a strike. It was awe-inspiring. It was one pitch on a Saturday afternoon in June of 1991. But I remember it uh, so vividly. And when they traded him, I go, I hope they're not making a mistake here because that guy's got – and sure enough, well, Jason Grimsley was never anything, and Kurt Schilling became a guy who's gotten Hall of Fame consideration. Right, so, so here's the story. I was in Clearwater that day. I was subbing in for the Inquirer's Philly Beat Writers. They were, they were going to come back to Philadelphia for the opener. It was right before – right at the end of spring training, right before the opener, and I was covering the end of spring training for the Inquirer. So the day Schilling arrived, I remember it was raining, and the game got rained out, so I was looking for something to write about. And Larry Boa told me that this new guy they got, this Kurt Schilling, was going to throw in the bullpen under the stadium with Johnny Padres. So, you know, I went down to watch it and maybe meet Schilling and write a story for the paper. And I saw history because here's what I saw. Schilling throws a couple of pitches, uh, two-seam fastballs, and Padres says, what the hell was that? And Schilling says, that's my fastball. And Padres says, that, that's no fastball. That, that's a sinker. And Padres takes the ball. And I'll never forget this. And he grabs it across all four seams, and he shows the grip to Schilling. I think Padres maybe threw a couple pitches, shows to Schilling, and says, try this, a split-finger fastball. And Kurt Schilling throws it a couple of times, and Padres grins, and Schilling grins and Larry Boa who I'm sitting next to is clearly excited and it just worked and they had something and what I mean what Schilling discovered was like this is the pitch that I've never been able to throw this is the out pitch and then this is the career and this is I mean 
thousands of swinging strikeouts. The guy led the league in strikeouts twice after that. He was great for the Phillies in 1993, and then he was great for the Diamondbacks, and then he was great for the Red Sox. And in five minutes, Jody, Johnny Padres made Curt Schilling into a pitcher, which that's that's me saying it, but Curt Schilling has said the same over the years. Right. Uh, and I used to be friends with Curt. Not so much these days. But yeah, you, you, know. you, you and I both attended uh, at least one Christmas party at yeah, the Schilling household. Right. Remember that basement with all the bats and stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah. Tremendous. Yeah, well, our, our relationship ain't, ain't that good now. But <laughs> but it was it – was, I've never been in a situation like that. And, again, Schilling has talked about this and said that Johnny Padres is the guy who made his career. And I was lucky enough to be there, and it took five minutes. And it was on this date in 1992 – and the Phillies ended up trading Ross Grimsley, Jason Grimsley, excuse me, not Ross Grimsley, Jason Grimsley for Curt Schilling. And I'll tell you, and I guess we got a couple minutes here, it's tough to name a better trade in this town since since that time. Since the 90s, has there been since a Since 92, yeah. I don't want to go back Schilling. to Carlton for wise. Or, you know, I mean, we can go way back in history. Uh, I'll, throw it, I'll throw it to you. I'll throw it to the audience. I thought about it. I came up with a couple, but, you know, not – not Steve Carlton, not Wilt, not Bernie, not Moses. I'm talking stuff that occurred, and we will make April the second, nineteen ninety two, is the star today. Okay. Name name the best trade in Philadelphia sports history. Now I know we have a guest in the next segment, so we're not not going to take a whole lot of calls coming up. But I'll I'll kick this off again when we come back after the guest, and you can think about it. Uh, yeah, give me a little time to think about it. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I'm not coming up with one, so I'm going to have to give it some consideration. Because that was just a stone-cold winner of a deal. You don't get a guy who is in the Hall of Fame conversation for uh, a, a marginal starting pitcher like Grimsley was. It just doesn't happen. So uh, that's that's tough to beat, but I won't say it's impossible, but I don't know one off the top of my head. All right, well, you have time to think about it. We'll ask our, our callers to think about it, 215-592-9494. And by the way, I think Schilling should – I don't have a vote. I, I would vote Kurt Schilling for the Hall of Fame. And – I do believe there are people who don't vote for him because of his persona these days. And I think whoever Kurt Schilling is these days is irrelevant to whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame. So yeah, I don't. Much. Um, you don't think he belongs? No, or you I don't think, think it's irrelevant? I think his – two quick Schilling things. I know we got to get to the top of the hour. Number one, his political beliefs to me should not be uh, part of the conversation. That That's a – different conversation but Kurt had some other issues after his major league baseball playing career that I guess if you want to you you can you can suck politics into every conversation in every level if you want uh, but I I think there are some things that he's done and said that uh, are fair game for people to judge his post uh, game career on not just because of a particular side of the aisle that he may sit on uh, but I do think there are some things that are uh, legit that you can take into consideration when uh, looking at his Hall of Fame career if you're voting for him or not. Did you say there were two things? A few things. Oh, a few things. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we'll talk to Matt Gelb, beat writer for The Athletic, covers the Phillies. See if he agreed, which is where he uh, comes down on all these over-unders. He did a column the other day where he put a lot of them out. As well, Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, and we will get your calls. You call now. We'll get you in the next segment after Matt. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four on ninety four WIP. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Well, the game was horrible. But Nick Castellanos is off to a good start. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, we check in now with Matt Gelb. Matt is the terrific Phillies beat writer for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Gelb, M-A-T-T-G-E-L-B. So, Matt, Jody and I started the show saying, everybody get off the ledge. It's just two games, 160 to play. Don't worry about it. But it was bad, and you kind of chronicled, like, how bad this was. How bad was it? Pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, it's the well. first time. I, I, I think it's, uh, there's only been one team, you know, since uh, 1900, you know, that allowed four runs in its first two games. It was like the St. Louis Browns in like 1951 and then the Phillies the last time the Phillies allowed this many runs in a, in their first two games was 1895 so yeah I mean a long time ago and you're right it's two games and and, and you know you, you would hope that they would have started a little better and I, I do think there are like a few things under the hood that are a little concerning but um, I don't know I mean you got to take it for what it is two really really bad games yeah. Matt, I'm of the uh, belief that, uh, all right, chill out, chicken little, the sky's not falling. But maybe something hit somebody in the head, and it was probably a Phillies outfielder with all the shots that the Rangers got in in the yeah. first couple of games. Um, <laughs> the bullpen has not been good. The starting pitching has not been good. The pitching has not been good, period. If I were to put any stock in, uh-oh, what the hell's going on here, did the Phillies do a good job prepping their pitchers to hit the ground running in Texas this week. Did they get their work in? Did they work through what they had to, both starting and the only two that matter are Nola and Wheeler because they're the only two to pitch so far, but the rest of the bullpen guys who have been pretty damn brutal, did they get accomplished what they needed to in spring training with the pitching? I mean, it's natural to wonder that. It's actually, I mean, it's funny because, you know, the relievers during the spring, I mean, threw a lot of strikes. You know, the guys that they were counting on to be on their bullpen – through strikes in the spring, and I actually thought had you know pretty good springs as a whole, but um, the strike throwing has just been absolutely brutal. And then you know you've seen them; they get behind two zero, two one, and three one, and you know they got to come in with a with a, with a fastball for a strike, and, and the Rangers hitters have just teed up for it. And I, I think it's fair to wonder that. I think you know I do think not having you know a lot of work with Real Muto and Stubbs, both of the catchers, Stubbs. They both went to WBC. Stubbs then also was hurt, you know, for for the majority of camp. Um, do you wonder, like, did the pitchers get enough time with those guys? I mean, but you know, most of these guys have worked with them, you know, seasons past. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I mean, like, are you looking for explanations? I think the explanation is simple: is like they need to throw more strikes. Yeah, Matt, we've seen that Aaron Nola start before, where he cruises through three or four innings, and then all of a sudden there's that uh-oh inning where it just kind of all goes south. That's that's not new, and Aaron Nola has proven himself over the last three or four years to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. But one of the things that he has always done to help himself is he slows down when he's got men on base. And I, I quoted a stat yesterday that uh, with men on base, his time between pitches in the past has been something like 26, 27 seconds. It's about the longest in baseball. Now, he can't do that anymore. And um, 
Uh, just one other stat I'll give you. Last season with bases empty, he held opponents to an OPS of 543. With men on base, it was 719. I probably got that from one of your stories. Um, he would appear, and again, it's just one game. It's a really small sample size, but to be the kind of a guy who may have a much tougher time with this pitch clock than others because he can't do what he has done in the past. Don't know if you had a chance to talk about him, talk about that with him, or with Real Muto. You did a terrific story. We interviewed Real Muto the other day. Is that, in his case, maybe a bigger concern than it would be with other people? I think so. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And I also think, you know, I know people were upset because, you know, they hear they hear the Phillies, the pitchers and the catchers talking about how it was such a tough adjustment or how, you know, the clock was made things hard. And, you know, I, I don't think they're using it as an excuse. I think it's more like we need to clean this up. Like we need to, you know, the sport has changed radically. Like, and it's going to affect different guys in different ways. But I think more more so than anything, I think the guys inside the clubhouse are like, this this is something that happened. We didn't make the right adjustment to start the season and like we need to figure this out because like it's not going away i mean this is baseball now as we know it and Noah's a guy who loved to throw to first base you know multiple times during that bat and and it was to keep the runner close yeah but more than anything it was to just slow that was his mechanism to just like just center himself to just like relax to like you know give himself a little more time to think about this next pitch and it's funny you actually saw wheeler wheeler took an auto ball yesterday on purpose he had an 0-2 count on Marcus Simeon in the fourth inning, and he, he, you know, Real Muto called a pitch. He didn't want that pitch, and then Real Muto called another pitch. He didn't want that pitch. And instead of, like, rushing and hurrying something there, Wheeler just stood there and just took the ball. And I asked him about it, and he was like, yeah, there's certain situations where, like, I'm just not going to – I'm not going to rush to make a pitch I don't want to make. So he just took the ball, then the next pitch was he threw a strike three. And so, like, he got the pitch he wanted. So, I don't know. I mean, like, we're all, like, kind of learning about this as we go. I mean, there's been more stolen bases. It's crazy. I mean, the game literally changed overnight. And spring training, I know they had a chance to do it. Not the same. Like, it's just not right. the same environment and atmosphere. You're, you're right. It's not. Um, but, and I'm going to uh, be like Mr. Wet Blanket here. Uh, in my car, listening to the Phillies pregame show, yes, I Scott Fransky talking to Rob Thompson. And they asked about uh, Nolan game one and all the things that you and Glenn just addressed. And Thompson said, yeah, in his bullpen this week, we're going to get a clock out there. And it might not be for the entire bullpen, but some of the pitchers are going to do that to just get them that much more accustomed to it. That's what they had spring training for. I know it's not the same sold-out stadium down there in Texas in front of 8,000 instead down in Florida, but... That's why he had to, nobody was surprised by the, these rules. They were all in place well before the guys ever showed up down in Florida to get ready for the season. Uh, if you're still working on it and doing the specific things in a bullpen rather than just getting ready for the season, I guess, I guess I'm back to the same exact question I asked, and it's more NOLA-specific, but did he not prep enough for the new rules that are Major League Baseball in 2023? I just think the intensity level is different. And it's not like they were surprised by the rule. I just think that the intensity level is different. And, like, you know, you get into a situation where you got two runners on base and you're behind the count, you know, you're 3-1 against a really good big league hitter and it's a loud crowd. I just think, you know, he didn't have a lot of time for Real Muto in the spring. And I do think there's something to that. I do. I mean, he barely threw Real Muto. And they need to get on the same page and they need to have different ways of, of, you know, having the right pitch in the right situation, you know, in, in tight situations when the clock is running down. All right, Matt, I'm going to change the topic, and I'm going to ask you, who is Christian Pache, and why should I care? (laughs) 
Well, he's probably going to play center field for the Phillies tonight on Sunday Night Baseball, and he uh, is a former huge prospect with the Braves. Um, terrific defender. Like, he might be uh, the best center field defender in the sport right now. I mean, he's that good. Um, that said, he, he might be, like, the worst hitting position <laughs> player in baseball right now. Um, you know, and, 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 and like, I, I think people, you know, he might think I'm Sounds like Brett this, Phillips. Like, Remind, reminds he, me of Brett Phillips. He's in the American League now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, you might think I'm overstating this, but, I mean, he really, like, if you go look at his, his, his hitting lines in the majors so far, and it's not a ton of at-bats, um, you know, they look like what a pitcher would hit back when pitchers were allowed to hit in the National League. I mean, it's that bad. Um, so they took a flyer on him, and, look, I think there's worse ways to use the 26th spot on your roster. I, I don't think he's going to play a lot, um, but he does give them some really good defense in center. And think about it, like, you know, what is one of the flaws of this team? I mean, their corner outfielders are are – are not good, like defensively. I mean, that's a, that's clearly a flaw on the team. And so if they get ahead late in games, you might see them put Pache in center and move Marsh over to either left or right, and that improves your defense. And so, like, I don't know. I mean, he's got some speed. Uh, you know, they think they'll try to make some changes to the swing, but, I mean, I don't know. That's a, it's a, it's a big task. I mean, he, he, needs, he needs a lot of work. I, I don't know that I've ever had this conversation with you, Matt, before. I've had it with many people on the air, but uh, not necessarily with you. Is, is Pache on Kevin Long's plate? Can we expect improvement from him offensively because we think our hitting coach is as good as he is? And uh, do you hold the hitting coach accountable if there is no pro- – do you give him that much more credit if this kid can get his average up to 225, which would be a massive leap from 166? Uh, it's it's kind of a what do you think about pitching coaches and hitting coaches? How much should they be held accountable from the production of the players underneath them? Hard to say. I mean, yeah, no no doubt. You know, Wong is gonna is gonna try to do his thing with with Pache, and like you know, we've seen him take on similar projects. I don't know if it was like a, as big of a project as, as this, but you know, his thing is just simplifying the swing. And Pache does have a little bit of, you know, a few extra movements in his swing that they could take out and just really simplify it and um, try to get him in a better position to hit velocity and, and then off speed. And, you know, I don't know how much, like, it, it, I think it was funny because when they made the trade, everyone's like, oh, Kevin Long's going to get his hands on him. He's going to get his hands on him. It's like, and I think, you know, talking to Dave Dombrowski the other day, he's like, we really like Kevin Long. You know, we, we think he can help him. But, like, you know, let's not, like, you know, there, there are certain things that, you know, this might be a miracle. I mean, it's not to like, you know, I mean, it, it, he's going to get sporadic at bats in the majors and like, you know, they're going to be trying to rework his swing. That's like really hard to do. I mean, cause like, you know, you saw me pinch it late in the game yesterday. And like, you know, when you get to the plate and you're like, you have all these ad- ideas about adjustments in your head and you get to the plate finally, and you don't get many at bats, you go up there and you're just going to go like, you know, you're, you're surviving. Like you're just going to yeah. go up there and try to do the things you did before. Um, because that's just like, that's how you do it. So like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. And, if Kevin Long can fix Christian Pache, then I don't know. He should probably get a lifetime contract. Uh, I'm sure he would like to hear that. Matt Galba is our guest. Now, Matt, you do uh, a really fine podcast, Phillies Therapy with Paul. It's Boyer, right? That's how you pronounce that? Yep. I have that? Okay. Mm-hmm. And you did a bunch of over-unders uh, that I listened to. It was a great podcast. Jody and I actually covered a few of them earlier today. So we got, uh, geez, we got about four minutes. Let's do these quickly. I'll throw out what you said. Uh, you give us like a sentence or two on it, and Joni and I will tell you tell mm-hmm. say if we agree. All right. So you had Trey Turner thirty nine and a half stolen bases. Where do you go? You made the number. Where do you go on your own line? 
I went under just because I, I just don't think he's going to run as much as we think. Uh, I went under Jody, slightly under, and Jody hates the the oven mitts too. Oh, right? they but they have to outlaw the oven mitts. <laughs> All right, Derek Hall, twenty one and a half home runs. How did you come up with that? Uh, I don't know. It's probably a it's a it's a big line. There's a lot of reasons to go under because we don't know how much you know playing time he'll end up getting there. They could go get somebody in July. I still went over. I don't know. I, I I'm a I'm a Derek Hall believer. All right, Jody. As am I. Yeah, I think he's going to hit twenty plus, uh, maybe twenty five. I would go over too. No, I'll say somewhere in the teens, so I'll go under. Edmundo, I like this one because you you guys are all over the board. Uh, Matt, uh, Edmundo <laughs> Sosa game started seventy and a half. Your thoughts there? I'm taking over. I think he's going to play a lot. He'll probably be at third base tonight. Uh, I think he's going to play a lot, and Bohm probably plays a little more first base, but. If there's an injury on the infield, Sosa's the guy who, who takes the most of those every day at bat. So I think he's going to play. Uh, I think he's going to get here. I Joey. would have said over until they acquired Pache because I thought he was actually going to get starts in center field yep. uh, because mm-hmm. he played well enough down there in spring that they would put him out there. They now no longer have to do that. So I'll I'll go under. Was the trending over go under because of the late, late spring training move the Phillies made? I think I'll agree with Jody because it's a lot of left-handers. Although your thought, if there's an injury, he you know he would play second or third or should, like wherever there's an injury, he's the next guy sure. up is a yeah. is a good yep. point. But I, I'll still I'll say they're going to stay healthy. Go under. Here's one that's uh, interesting in the light of uh, what happened on Thursday. Aaron Nola ERA. Don't know how you got this exact number. Three point oh nine five. You took it out to the third decimal there. <laughs> well, if you're gonna do an over under, you can't have pushes. Uh, That's right. Very good. I think I, I, you know, I the projection systems. We talked about this on the podcast. The projection systems, all these different models, they love Aaron Nola this year, and, and rightfully so in the year that he had last year. And and I even like moved that number up. I mean, the number that some of these projection systems have are like high twos, right? And so like I I, I boosted that number up to set the line and. Um, you know, I'm going over, but like, I don't know. I mean, like one bad start should not color, you know, how we look at him. I really, you know, he's in a walk year, like it's a big year for him. All right, Jody. I would go under for a very specific reason. Um, with the new balance schedule, there'll probably be a lot more hitters that have not faced Aranola, but a handful of at bats. And I think he's one of those guys that if you've not seen him before, you're going to have a tough time with him the first couple of times. Not that, oh, my God, once you get your 40 at bat, you're going to own Arenola. But if you haven't faced him much, I think he's a very difficult face. And the new schedule says you'll have more of those guys this year. So I'll say under on the number you set. Uh, I might have said under, but the start the other day is going to oh, push you. Oh, you're well, hey, no. going to let that one start move you, Mac Man, huh? Excuse me. It's going to push it to 3.158 <laughs> because oh. you know, what, they give up five runs. That's going to that, – other than that, he would have been there. Uh, Bryce Harper, first game, June the 12th. Gosh, I'm hoping under. You you say – what do you say, Matt? I said over, and I forget the date I said. It's like the start mm. of a homestand. Uh, it was like June 20, maybe. They go on the West Coast like in the middle of June. June 20 Jeez, is what I said. It's a, it's a game against the Braves. It starts a homestand. Uh, um, but I I know that a lot of people would take the under here before well, June they didn't 12. Put him on, they did not put him on the 60-day disabled list, so my math says he's coming back before then, Jody. Yeah, if that was just a ruse to make Philly fans happy and maybe sell some April <laughs> tickets, maybe, but I kind of bought into that, so I'll go uh, prior to as well. All right, real quickly, uh, like this. 
Scott Kingery plate appearances, 89 and a half. I saw you hit a home run down in the minors yesterday. Uh, you're, uh, you, I, I didn't even have him on the radar. Matt, you're thinking what? I went under on this. He's actually got two homers in the first two games of AAA. Um, there's going to be opportunity. I think he's going to be on the big league roster at some point. Um, you know, 80, you know, 90 play appearances a lot, though. I mean, that that would be some regular work and some regular pinch hitting uh, appearances. I'm going under, but I would not be surprised if this goes over. I'm taking over. That, that, that's that's an injury thing. Uh, if there is a major injury and somebody's going to be out for a lengthy period of time, then it goes over. If not, it's going to go under. And, yeah, this is kind of a are you being an optimistic Philly fan or a pessimistic Philly fan? I'll stay with the optimistic that there is no major injury, so I'll go under. All right, and one more. Um, Andrew Painter starts nine and a half. You see the 19-year-old having – I don't know when he turns 20, but you see him having an impact this year. I do. Over. Give me the over on this. Yeah, see, what I would think would be more interesting would actually be innings rather than numbers of starts because how they use him, when they use him, I'm with you, I think at some point, they kind of open up that door and they can't walk back through it, that he's ready to go in the big leagues. So you might be right on the over, but if you go less than four innings per start, how big is the contribution actually? Uh, I'll go with you, Matt. I'll go over, but I'd uh, I'd rather try and figure out exactly how many innings they're going to get out of him. There you go. Yeah, ten starts, twenty-five innings. There, you go. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> uh, Don't worry about managing his innings anymore because he's you know going to miss the first one up here. There you go. There, there you have it. They'll bring him in. He'll do uh, nine innings first start. They don't do that anymore. Uh, Matt Galbit is always a pleasure. You do a terrific job at the Athletic. Love reading you. Follow him on Twitter at Matt Gelb. Enjoy, man, and uh, don't let him start zero and three, okay? Because I'm telling you, our audience is gonna. They can't handle that. And then to New York, we'll see. Exactly. Uh, then to play the Yankees. Yeah, that'll be a picnic. All right, Matt. Thanks so much. See you guys. Thanks, All right, Matt. Take care. Good stuff. Does a nice here's, job. Here's the good news for me. I'm on WIP tomorrow, but I get two Philly games in between now and when I get back on because I'm not until after the Phillies game tomorrow night. So hopefully they're two and two. They'll probably be one and three. They better not be on four <laughs> by the time I get on the air on Monday night, Mac Man. If if they're over. Oh my uh, God. What time are you on? You're on after, uh, right after, after the after game, the right? after the post game show. Yeah. Oh, I am definitely going to be listening for that. Yeah, thanks, one way man. or the other. All right, let's get Frank and Westchester in here before the break. Frank, what do you think about Aaron Nola? Hello, Frank. We appear to have lost uh, Frank. Tell you. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on. I'll get you back. Hold on. Are you there, Frank? I'm right here. How you doing? There you go. Good, Frank. Hey. Yeah, I had you on mute there as I waited to uh, to finish up the uh, the interview there. So, good stuff. So, yeah, with Nola, uh, should he have been the starter well, basically how it ended four months ago, maybe he comes in, we give him the opportunity to kind of, you know, get his rhythm going with the new new way the baseball um, uh, is going right now, as we mentioned, the changes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, then they get Wheeler in yesterday. They've given up like 27 runs in two games and scored 10. When you score 10, average five, you probably should win a few, few of those games. So their pitching has yeah, just been. You know, you know what I was surprised at, Jody. I given Enola did not have a particularly good spring, and he pitched a ton last year, and you got the five zero lead on Verlander. Um, I would have liked to have seen them. Uh, did I say the right pitcher? 
Anyway, I would like to have seen uh, Thompson have somebody warming up at the start of that inning. A little quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I I was thinking the same thing I was watching the game. I didn't quite understand the caller's point. You start Nola the first game of the season. Who are you going to start? Uh, Matt Strom as your uh, bullpen guy that you're going uh, that Nola might not want to have him opening day. Oh, okay, go Wheeler instead. Well, Wheeler didn't do any better the next day. So who actually started the game in the order that they started them? I'm not going to second guess Thompson. With no, the I'm not either. Out the the guys didn't have good days. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, Frank, do you have a great trade in the last thirty years here? I do, actually. So in, in 1995, the Flyers go out and they trade Mark Recchi, who had been here at least three times, uh, as well as the third-round pick to Montreal. They get John LeClaire, Ooh. Eric Lindros, and Gilbert Dion as kind of the throw-in. Well, they didn't get Eric Lindros. Oh, no, they, they, they got, got uh, Desjardins. Uh, LeClaire and Desjardins, yeah. Yeah, I meant yeah, Desjardins. That was... The, so and, Jody, Great. you and I were doing the show that day Correct. at McDonald's in New Jersey. And I just remember, God, here's what I remember, Jody. This is before we had the internet at remotes, right? We didn't even have the internet studio. Big was like, I don't want you guys having computers. You'll be looking at porn all day, right? And Jody can attest, this is and true. My, and my, my, my mobile phone was in a bag. It was one of those <laughs> right, big, yes. heavy things that you threw over <laughs> your shoulder to be right. able to make a remote call from. Right, you couldn't get any any anything at the time. So no. we're like, like John LeClaire, isn't he the guy? He scored the the Stanley Cup winning goal, but it's like didn't really like he was a third fourth liner. And I just remember thinking at the time, like I knew Desjardins was good. I didn't know what LeClaire was going to be. I liked Recky, and I thought, eh, even Stephen Trade and the caller's right. It turned out to be when LeClaire got here and came with Lindros, and then you got that line. Um, it just with Renberg, boy, the, and, and they were great. And Desjardins was one of the best defensemen in the history of the franchise. It's a pretty damn good trade. Much more excited about the Desjardins acquisition than Leclerc. I remember you and I. You're right, doing the show yeah. that day, and I said, "This is going to be a good trade because the Flyers need this upgrade on the back line. Their defense is okay at best. They need a playmaker back there. This guy's going to come in and be your best defenseman. I like to trade." Because of Desjardins. And then, of course, Leclerc becomes what he becomes with the Legion of Doom and everything else. But uh, I, I do remember that show. I remember that day of that trade. I was much more psyched because of the Desjardins acquisition than the, than the Leclerc edition. Right. And we're at that McDonald's in New Jersey. And those guys who used to come watch us, they were a bunch of hockey geeks. Oh, right? they, my, my. So they all had a which bunch. Was and I went and played basketball with them afterwards. All we did was talk flyer hockey while we played oops thereafter. Yeah. Yeah, those guys were real Flyer fans. So that oh, was yeah. actually really helpful because they're, they're giving it. It's like, eh, don't worry about Dion. He's the little brother Marcel, but he's worth nothing. You don't want him. The other guys are good. So, yeah, that was good. That was a good trade. That is part of our conversation. Uh, we brought it up because this is the anniversary of Kurt Schilling getting traded to the Phillies. And I was there the day that they threw a bullpen, and Johnny Padres opened Kurt Schilling's eye to how great he could be. So give us the best trade in Philadelphia since then, uh, which would be April 2nd, 1992. And, boy, LeCure Desjardins is tough to beat. Uh, Jody, coming up, I got I got a, a sad fact about your favorite childhood team and one of my favorite childhood teams. They share a very dubious distinction okay. right now. Uh, we've opened, uh, opened the lines. It is a good time to get through. We'd love to get your calls in. 215-592-9494. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now. 
94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. So, Jody Mack, the Sacramento Kings the other night clinched an NBA playoff spot for the first time in 16 years. You know what that means, Joni? That means uh, Sacramento actually gets to see postseason play, the good fans of Sacramento. And I remember when they were last good, Chris Webber and the like almost beat the Lakers. Uh, yeah, they were the good. Western yeah. Conference Finals. That was a good NBA city. Their yeah. building was one of the best in the NBA. They were a very good home team. They were a very good team, but they were a better home team because they got tremendous support. It was uh, graded one of the loudest buildings in the place, and they've had nothing to cheer about for the last decade and a half. So uh, right. good, on, good on the Sacramento fans who actually get some postseason action this year. Well, you know, it's a, so it's a one-sport city, right? So Correct. You're going to get behind that one team that you have. But here's what it means. It means now the longest playoff drought in professional sports, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, is the New York Jets, who last made the playoffs in 2010 under Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez. And 2010 is not outrageous. Uh 13 years, 12 years, because we haven't gotten to the 2023 season. What it speaks to more than anything else is expanded playoffs. Yeah. In a bunch so of sports. the the and as I said, one of my childhood teams may be there soon because uh, I no longer root for the Buffalo Sabres, but I did when I was a kid. And the Sabres they have looked pretty the good against the Fly Guys last night. They, well, yeah, I'm going to get to that in a sec. They beat the <laughs> the uh, Sabres have missed the playoffs 11 years in a row. And if they miss the playoffs this year, which they are on pace to do, they will tie the Jets. So, there you go. <laughs> Our two teams. Yeah. After that, behind that, uh, the longest droughts are just seven years in a row, which would be the Broncos, the Hornets, the Pirates, the Royals. I don't even remember the Royals ever making the playoffs. The Angels and the Tigers. Royals went and, to the World Series not that oh, that's long right. ago. That's, uh, yeah, they had that year. And yeah, uh, Woody the, Johnson beat, beat said. Beat the Mets uh, in the World Series. That's right. Woody Johnson said, I am no longer patient. Um. Yes, the Flyers lose to the Sabres last night, and the Flyers are well out of the playoffs, but probably not bad enough because as of now, uh, fighting John Tortorella has them seventh from the bottom, and I saw this morning they have a 6.5% chance for Connor Bedard. Um, They are the only team in the bottom seven with a winning record over their last 10 games. And they're not likely to move from that spot. So it looks like that's where they'll finish. All right. So I'm going to be Mr. Optimistic here. Uh, go down the dumb and dumber road. Not me, but the movie. So you're telling me I got a chance. Six and a half percent. Hey. Come in I, before. I, I, play, I played uh, Mega Millions the other day where the odds weren't near as good that I was going to take down $100 million in cash. So why, why not believe that the uh, ping pong balls can go the Flyers way? There you go. Okay. Believe, Jody. Do that. That's exactly uh, what I'm doing. Steve in South Jersey is with us. Good morning, Steve. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey. Great. 
I uh, I go way back. Yeah, I, I ate many a Big Mac watching you guys talk at McDonald's on 73. So it's good to see you guys back together again. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, uh, we, bud. We appreciated that audience. Those guys are great. And I seem to remember you guys had a, a, a young, curly-haired Rhea Hughes as your producer, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, might have been. Rhea, was Rhea McDonald? She, she goes back Rhea that was far. In studio. I, she Rhea wasn't with did. us. She, she didn't do remotes. But, no, uh, she was in studio. She would not have been out there with us. If, and I don't if, remember if Rhea you knew curly she hair. was curly haired, which she hasn't Maybe he's been thinking of Andy of... Roth. Oh, no. Uh, maybe. Don't go maybe. there. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on. Um, this, the Aaron Nola hate is just beyond belief. And listen, I know the guy has his issues. He gets guys two strikes and give, and, and can't finish him off. Sometimes he gets two outs, he can't finish him off. But the guy is a solid pitcher. He's, he's not an ace, but he's a top-of-the-rotation guy, and those guys don't come cheap. And it, it, it just boggles my mind. I mean, what's, how many innings has he pitched over the last eight years? And what's his strikeout to walk ratio? Was it like nine to one? It, it was and the best does, in baseball. It was best in the National League, excuse me, last year. I don't know about baseball. It was best in the National League, and he has pitched more innings than anybody. So, yeah, yeah. both, both of those things I, are in your favor. Yeah, I, think, I think all of uh, you know, the major league rankings for, you know, for what they're worth, he, he's rated in the top 20 as a starter. I just, I just don't get it. I mean, I understand every pitcher has their faults. He has his, and it's just people are losing their minds over two games. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just hate to see what's going to happen. You know, if you're optimistic that they're going to win ninety some games, you got seventy more of these coming. People, are, people are going to be on Zoloft by the time you get to get to July fourth if this keeps up. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, we hear you. We we hear you. I, I think there's some frustration with innings like you saw the other day. What's the best trade in Philadelphia since this date in two, 1992? I would have to go with Roy Halladay. Yeah, that was bad. pretty good. Uh, let me let me see if I can remember the particulars of that. It was um, was Darno one of those guys? Yeah, like, you Travis, know what I should uh, Darno is definitely in that deal. Okay. Uh, speed outfielder whose name is Gosden Gosen. Oh, Ghost. Yeah. G-O-S-E, um, Ghost. Ghost was in that deal, if I remember correctly. Uh, uh, Drebeck, uh, uh, Drebeck. 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 Yeah, Drebeck's kid. Yeah, yeah. Was also in that deal. None of – none of uh, Darno's still hanging around. Got to give him a lot of credit. He was the guy who was – turned out to be the best player that the Phillies had to give up in that deal. Yeah. Yeah. See, what I remember about I, – I, I less remember the specifics of that trade than what happened is on the same day Ruben Amaro traded Cliff Lee away and got Halliday. So you almost thought of it in your mind as they traded Cliff Lee and got Halliday. Of course, those were separate trades. Um, but, yeah, that, that they, the Halliday one paid off, obviously, paid off really nicely. God, he was good. He was – I, I got to tell you, uh, he – and Cliff Lee are probably my two favorite Phillies to watch over the years. And when you would go to a game and it was one of those two guys, star or Hamels, man, you know what? I take it back. All of those guys those days were so fun to watch when they pitched. And, oh, by the way, Cliff Lee, if he was still pitching, 
would have no issue whatsoever with the pitch clock. No, that's one of the things I loved about him. He got the ball. He threw the ball. He got it back. He threw it again. There wasn't waiting. There wasn't thinking, overthinking and the like. He just had confidence in what he was throwing, pitch in and pitch out, and said, let's get this thing going. Absolutely. Love that about him. Jimmy in Jersey, you're with Jody and Glenn. Hey, Jimmy. Good day to you, fellas. I got a baseball. I'd like to uh, comment from both of you on, but uh, before I go there, Glenn, I'd just like to say I I, uh, share a uh, common love with with you for uh, Stratomatic Baseball. Uh, (laughs) I I was a six-man face-to-face league for 36 years, the last 33 of which I served as league commissioner. Nice. I still play. It's something I've done since I was 15 years old and still do. So, yeah, yes. I love it to death. The question I had for you fellas, uh, nationally and locally, I'm not hearing anything on this topic, and I'm curious what your take, both of your takes are on this. Uh, with the new balance schedule, how do you think that's going to affect our chances this year? The same as everybody else. It's balanced for everyone. So if you say, oh, you played the Mets and the Braves last year, but you played the Nats last two, and they just absolutely owned Washington last year. It's the same for everybody. I didn't like the fact that now that they're 0-2, I like it even less, the fact that they opened up against the Texas Rangers. What kind of rivalry are the Phillies have against the Texas Rangers? They should play the Texas Rangers the last weekend in April, not the first weekend in April. So I've got an issue with the scheduling, but the whole balanced schedule thing, it's good for baseball. You get a little bit more taste of absolutely everybody. I'm perfectly fine with it. I just didn't like the way they arranged it. I agree with Jody that it's not going to impact the pennant races because, as he said, you play the you know, the Mets and the Braves less, but you play the Marlins and the Nationals more. Although with the Marlins, that's with the Phillies, that's always risky. But um, I don't like it. He, I, I appreciate that people do like it, and hey, you're going to get to see Otani and Mike Trout come in and so on. I like playing the Mets and the Braves. I like division games. I like them in all sports. I I, I mostly want to see those games. So, well, that, anything that's... else there, Jim? Well, that simple fact affected my over-under pick for the year more than anything. I mean, for one thing, we're not seeing the the Nationals 19 times. That's six wins you can take away from us right there. Yeah, but again, you don't play the Mets and the Braves as much. And it's it, it all, as Jody said, it all balances out. It's all it's all the same. Everybody, the, the Braves and the Mets don't play the Nationals six times also. So they get those six fewer wins. I, I, I agree with Jody. I think it's going to all balance out. 215-592-9494. Jody, coming up, we have somebody who wants to talk about thin-skinned umps. Oh, good. Somebody wants to talk about the uh, NCAAs, including the NCAA women's, which Oof. That, I, I want to draft her. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, and, and I'll make yeah. a comparison for with uh, Caitlin Clark and a very famous Philadelphia athlete. Ooh, Okay. I'm looking forward to that. 215-592-9494. Your calls as well. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Jody, um, I've gotten several texts today, uh, emails, et cetera, that said you were magnificent uh, last night on What's Brewing. Really? And I, yeah, and I appreciate it. And you're Listen, I've always loved working with you and getting you uh, to Lower Marion Beverage Company to sit around and drink beer. Good spot, though. That That's okay. a really nice – if it wasn't like 110 miles from my house, I would go there more often. 
because they've got a great selection of beers. Uh, the, uh, the people that we work with there that day were great too. Jim Martin. Yeah. They got they they got a really nice spot there. Yeah, uh, and we pretty much tried half the beers in the joint. <laughs> <laughs> And I loved you trying beers that you never had. Because, as I said, look, you like what you like. And, you know, you're not an experimental kind of guy. And that's fine and that's great. But in the second show, it's like, Jody, I want you to try a pastry stout. And you did. And a sour and a this and a that and the other thing. And you didn't like them all, but, you you know, you like some of them. Yeah. No, pleasantly surprised by a couple. And uh, you've got a, a good following on social media for that show. And I'll just quick aside tell you the thing that I, I didn't even realize, but it made me smile when I got this response. It was on Twitter, I think it was. Um, or maybe it was somebody who called the show on one of my night shows there, if I don't remember. But um, when we did the taste test, you, me, and Boxcar, uh, they noted that they pour us, what, about four ounces into the little plastic cup or yeah. whatever it was? Yeah. Uh, right. And we had all those to sample. Tasters, and yeah. You and Ed would both take, like, a sip, and then you would give your opinion. I would take a bigger sip and then go back and finish what was left in the four ounces of the cup. <laughs> and I, every single one of them, I finished every single drop in the five cups that we had. You and yeah. Ed finished none. Between the two of you, you didn't finish one. If you're drinking, you're drinking. You got to give it uh, your all, and I did with uh, my sampling, even though I couldn't pick out Budweiser, which was, yes, embarrassing for me. Well, I appreciate the effort that you gave to it. Uh, the way I figure it is, o- over the course of doing two episodes of the show, we are probably going to try a dozen, fifteen, up to twenty beers, and uh, like I gotta, you know, pace myself there. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. That's why I hung around with you for a half an hour afterwards to uh, let, burn burn some of I it off before settle. I got in the car and had to drive back over. Which, oh by the way, yes, I did have to stop and use the bathroom before I got back to my house <laughs> in South Jersey. You were carrying a lot of beer in there. Yes, I was. Uh, well, we'll do it again, and it was fun. And again, I think the episode repeats Tuesday at seven thirty. The second one, and it was it was a blast. So we'll do it again. All right, All right let me Char- get my Kate. Oh, let let me get my Caitlin's uh, comment in. Oh, okay. I was going to do it off a of caller, but go ahead. Um, all right. I apologize for jumping the gun. Then, um, you know, I'm watching her play, and I knew of her and read stories about her. I'd watched part of an Iowa game, but until it got to the tournament, I didn't watch lengthy parts of it, and then. The, just the performance she put on the last two games. No player has ever scored 41 points in back-to-back consecutive games in the NCAA tournament, ever. Men or women, any point, not just the semifinal game, which she became the first ever in a semifinal to get 41, but no one had ever done 41 back-to-back games, first round, second round, all the way through. So what she's been doing is historic. You know who she made me think of? Hmm. AI. Wow, okay. Alan wow. Iverson. Because she had a couple of crossovers that just left the poor girl that was trying to defend her just standing there. And she just went fire with ease without unbelievable speed or burst. She just has a great handle. And much like Alan, her first option on offense is her. And her second option is her. And her third option is her. She takes a lot of shots. And I saw her coach quoted afterwards saying, that's all about her confidence in herself. She just so believes in herself. It's not that she doesn't believe in her teammates, but she has so much more confidence in herself than anybody else. That's why she takes as many shots as she did. And I said, 
damn, that's just like AI in the Sixers back in the uh, early 2000s. She scored or assisted on every single Iowa point in the last 10 minutes of the game. <laughs> pretty impressive. All right, let's get a couple of calls. Charlie, thanks for hanging in. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, I'm a, a, a few months away from being 90, but I have a lot of uh, interesting. God bless you, sir. <laughs> uh, but the one that sticks in my mind was when I was at a real estate convention uh, back in the 90s. And uh, I, there was a guy who was uh, playing the organ. And I walked up to him and I said, are you the guy that got tossed out of a game uh, in preseason uh, uh, for playing uh, a certain tune? He says, yeah, I'm the one. And, I guess the uh, song? Well, the, the, the song was because the umpires were really bad at calling balls and strikes. He, he started to play three blind three mice. Blind mice. mice. Yeah, yes. I remember that. <laughs> That's great. So anyway, uh, well, I think they're more thin-skinned now than they even were back then. <laughs> Probably, because I, I I read uh, DeRocher's book, uh, and uh, uh, you know, nice guys finish last, and uh, he was he had some beauties uh, uh, experiences with the umpires. Yeah, and the thing, and Charlie, thanks for the call, man, and be yeah. well. Uh, there's there's not enough organs these days, Judy. Very uh, Judy. That's my wife. Excuse me, Jody. <laughs> not not the first time, Mac Man. <laughs> Won't be the last. Well, depends, you know, where and when. Yes. <laughs> I'm going another call. Just just tell me once you've called Judy Jody. Just once you've done it, because you've oh, called I me Judy about day, 25 times. I, I think probably following a five-hour show that we were doing back in those <laughs> days, I probably walked <laughs> into the house and did it. Yeah. Hey, Jody. Oh, Judy, excuse me. Yeah, it's, there's, we, we worked a lot of hours together back Yeah, then. we did. All right. Mark in South Philly, you want to talk about the NCAA women's. What did you want to say? Well, first I want to tell Jody. I said, uh, do me a favor, Jody. Yes, sir. Which do you miss more? Now, just listen. Yankee Stadium, Shea Stadium, the fan with Mike and the Mad Dog, Roosevelt Raceway, or the Salty Dog? Oh, they're all good. Yankee Stadium I had no use for. Uh, Shea Stadium I appreciated, which I know Philadelphians will feel the same because it was a dump. By the time they had to build a new stadium, Shea Stadium was a stone-cold dump, but it was my dump which I'm sure Philadelphia fans felt exactly the same about the vet. The vet was a dump. The vet needed to be blown up when it was blown up, but it was their home, so they appreciate it greatly. So out of all those choices, I would say Shea Stadium more than any other. Okay, here's the thing I was thinking about. You guys say that the best trade? Yeah. How about the worst trade? Nah, we don't want to do the worst trade. We want to do the best trade. We don't want to do the worst trade, and we're only going to 1992. So none of that. I appreciate your call, but we're not talking about Wilt Chamberlain being traded. Yeah, he's 0 for 2 on that. Yeah, that's like that really doesn't fit the narrative that we're looking for. All right, Jody, over under, not over under, the point spreads. Uh, Let me see if I can get men and women. Okay, so uh, women's, Iowa, Caitlin Clark, that's Today, what time does that game start? 3.30. Right? 3.30 oh, this oh. afternoon, yeah. Okay. Um, Iowa minus three over LSU. <sighs> By the way, this is probably the first time we have ever done this on, in the history of the show. For the women's championship yeah. game? Probably yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, with the Odyssey.com app, 
uh, my in-laws might be listening down in Baton Rouge, and one of my nephews is a freshman at LSU. <laughs> so despite the fact that they might be listening to our show right now, I used to be able to just say whatever the hell I wanted because hey, word won't get down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, Clark is going to finish it off. I think Iowa wins and covers. Is Carol a Louisiana girl? No, they retired there. Um, she's originally from New Jersey, but uh, my in-laws, her parents, moved to Louisiana. Her father oh, got okay. uh, job-related, moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when she was just just after she graduated high school. So she okay. stayed on her own as her parents moved to Louisiana, uh, and I was lucky enough to be the beneficiary of that. Yeah, and, and nice place to visit for you. Yeah. Oh, she had a great uh, swimming pool in the backyard. I once went to an LSU game. On Labor Day weekend, Mac Man, when I tell football game, when I tell oh. you it was a hundred and five in the shade, uh-huh. uh, we went down because it was a weekend. You off from work, you got to go when you got to go, and they had tickets, and we went to an LSU Texas A and M game, which are now in the same conference. Back then, Texas A and M wasn't in the SEC, but oh my God, it was one of the hottest days ever in my life. All right, real quick, we got about a minute before we got to hit a break. Uh, the men's championship game tomorrow night, Connecticut which just blew out. That game was very interesting yesterday. They were ahead from the very beginning. Uh, they are minus 7.5 over San Diego State. That wins at a buzzer beater and really what was a fun game to watch. Uh, who you got in that? You got it at 7.5? I got Yeah, that's what I got. You okay. got something different? Uh, yeah, well, here, a quick aside. I'm on the air last night on CBS Sports Radio, and the game ends, so I go to my Bet Parks app, and it opens up at 7.5. Within five minutes, it goes to 8. Within oh. 20 minutes, it goes to eight and a half. And I've got the app open, and I'm watching it live, and they're just clicking up uh, on, on almost a minute-by-minute minute basis, uh, the UConn line. It went up a full point within a half an hour from the time the game ended. So I got if this it's seven and a half, eight, it's not terrible. I got it at 8 o'clock this morning at seven and a half. So. Okay. Well, then it uh, might have come back down. But uh, they, they've dominated their opponents. Um I, I think I read this last night. I think it was my buddy John Rothstein from CBS had. Uh, when Villanova won the championship game a couple of years ago, uh, won the NCAA championship, they won by an average margin in the tournament of 16.5 points. Yeah. UConn has won by over 20. It's yeah. like 20.8 points per game so far. So if they can hold that, then eight, eight, seven and a half, eight, 8.5 shouldn't be any problem. Um, San Diego State's the best defense they're going to have played in the tournament. Uh, I think it's a no-play game, but I do believe UConn is going to win and take down another championship. Oh, there you go. 215-592-9494. Coming up, we're going to talk Eagles football. I haven't discussed that at all today. Adam Kaplan, terrific guy, local guy, but a guy who really got his, uh, his knows the pulse of what's happening nationally is going to join us right here. Jody and Glenn on 94 WIP. All righty, Jody McDonald, Glenn McNeil. It is noon in the Delaware Valley, and it is our opportunity to talk to a guy. I haven't had him on the air in a while. I love this guy. NFL Insider, you'll hear him on Sirius XM NFL. Uh, Inside Birds podcast with Jeff Mosier. Adam Kaplan joins us. Adam, how you been, my friend? Guys, good to talk to you. Yeah, I'm well. Look, we're, uh, you know, we're under four weeks from the draft. Always looking forward to that. Just got back from the NFL owners meetings in Phoenix. It's good to do that. I uh, love going out there and uh, just getting ready and, and prepping for the draft here as we get closer. Uh, yeah, well, we have, a lot, we have a lot to ask you about, and that will include the draft. But I, yep. uh, let, me, let me start with this. Given 
what the Eagles stood to lose going into free agency, given what they hope to keep, given the salary cap issues. How do you think they have done so far this offseason? That's a good question. I would say certainly mixed reviews, but a little surprising that they were able to bring back both veteran corners. Didn't think that would happen at the start of free agency. Look, the free agency kind of had some twists and turns. We knew Harry Roseman made it clear that the team was going to look different, particularly on defense. It certainly has. But the way that they brought Slay back, which is one of the most bizarre stories I could remember, where they tell the player he's going to be released three hours later, they're negotiating extension. You just don't see things like that. But they're able to secure Slay, and they got brought back Bradbury, which is a small surprise to me. They still have a very good roster. In fact, the Vegas odds have it. It's a little tighter for the NFCs. They still have the Eagles as the favorite. And the odds makers still have the Eagles as the representative to get the Super Bowl from the NFC. Want to ask you about one player in particular, um, and that would be Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Yep. Um, I thought there was a very good chance he would be resigned. He didn't. He's in Detroit now on a one-year make-good deal. Got okay at best money, less than I thought he was going to get on the open market. And the Eagles, as they've explained it, kind of pivoted. When they put what they thought was a fair offer out there, they turned it down. They said, well, let's go back and see if we can get Bradbury. And they did. And that kind of took Chauncey Gardner out of their plans. Um, how much do you think, if any, the fact that he's a, let's just call him a high-maintenance player, and if that upset some people, so be it, um, but that's what I've been told for those who uh, uh, were in the locker room this year and, and the type of personality he has, both good and bad. How much do you think that factored in, or was this all just either a football decision or an economic decision? It's more economic, Jody. Look, I know he's a different player. He could he could challenge coaches. We, we know what happened in New Orleans. They they declined to extend his contract. He we, we have reporting on our show Inside the Birds with Jeff Mosher and I that he could get in players' faces, the teammates' faces. He could be annoying at times, but he's a terrific football player. Jody, they'll never find anyone like him. He's his coach tape was phenomenal. We have Greg Cosell from NFL Films on our show a lot. Greg said he was the best nickel corner in 2021. Greg said his tape was terrific this past season. But getting back to his contract, there becomes a point in negotiations, and by the way, they offered him a three-year deal. It wasn't like they didn't want him back. They clearly did. Howie Roseman said this to the media this week in, in, in Phoenix. It's just there becomes a point where you go, listen, this is what we're – as you get deeper into free agency, when you get to this, the, the second week, I mean, who thought it would go to the second or third week? They go, look, this is what we have and at this point, and it's either take it or leave it. And at some point, they're going to pivot, as you mentioned. In fact, I think they more pivoted to Slay. That's kind of my sense than to Bradbury. Right. Uh, but, did I say Bradbury? I yeah, Slay. yeah. That, my understanding is more to Slay. Right. But it does set up a, a really interesting situation. Terrell Edmonds comes here, right? I'm told he's only going to make $2 million this season. Think about that. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's a former first-round pick. They bring in another kid, Justin Evans. I'm told he's going to make about $1.3 million. That's That's almost half of what Gardner-Johnson is going to make with the Lions. Think about that. So they're going to go bargain basement with with safeties, and they're, they're going a lot more money with older corners. It's not quite the way the Eagles have done in the past, but this is the way they're going to do it. I'm glad you brought those guys up. Uh, Adam Kaplan is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at KaplanNFL. That's Kaplan with a C. Um, because they did, over the last couple of weeks, sign a lot of names of players who aren't particularly familiar to the fans. You mentioned Terrell Edmonds and uh, Justin Evans, the two safeties. Uh, defensive end, Contavious Street. Linebacker, Nicholas Morrow. Cornerback, Greedy Williams. Um, who stands out among those who you say, you know what? This guy could actually have a career. 
Well, okay, so Nick Morrow, I talked to Paul Gunther, his former defense coordinator with the Raiders. Paul said that when he got him in 2018, it was only a second year playing linebacker. He was a safety in college at Greenville University in Chicago, Division Three school. So he had a, he had a big upside. A, a, just a he, had a he was a really athletic safety, but he had a lot to learn as, as a linebacker. Paul said by the time they were done with him, he was so good and so smart. They gave him that green dot in his helmet, which means he called the defense. That's, that's how good he was. Now he's small, guy, Glenn. He's small. He's six feet, maybe two twenty. Mm. When, when I started covering the league in 2000, linebackers had to be 245 to 260 and 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, now they're anywhere from 5'11 to 6'2", and they're anywhere from 220 to 240. They're, they're, the the off-the-ball linebackers typically are not big anymore. So I, think, I love this value. And by the way, I'm told he has no guaranteed money in this contract. And Jody mentioned the make-good contract. This is the old-school make-good contract. You want to get paid, you've got to make the roster. But this is a guy who led the Bears in tackles last season. Really good football player, Glenn. Good question. This is a guy I think fans will like. And look, the Eagles did well with Kaiser White last season, who was a yeah. bargain basement signing, who signed a deal with the Cardinals, and Morrow more or less is going to replace him. Let me uh, zero in on a different uh, guy that they signed this offseason. That is Edmonds, who most of the players they have signed have been below the $2 million mark. At least he did get $2 million, yeah. and he should because he was a starter for the Steelers for the last four or five years on a good, solid Pittsburgh defense. But if you look at the scattering report of how he plays the game, it's not C.J. Gardner-Johnson-like. He's a good box safety, a guy who plays the run, helps out. If you give him a chance every once in a while, coming off the edge, get to the quarterback. But he's not a cover guy. And at least the two years under Gannon, safeties had to cover. That was a key element to playing safety for the Eagles in their defense, the Fangio defense. You've got to be able to cover your playing safety. That's not Edmund's strong suit. Are we going to see more flexibility with the Sean Decide defense going forward that it isn't going to be so much about here are the traits I need from these players at these positions for my defense to work? Yeah, Edmonds, Jody, he's actually covered tight ends. He's done a little bit of, of, of playing in the slot, but you're right. He's really, he's not, that's not really what he does. He's not really good at it. We, let's put Gardner Johnson on the island because he's, he's nothing like any other safety in the National Football League because he is unbelievable versatility. Edmonds is a sort of rocked-up, well-built safety. He's a guy that, as one personnel source said to me, he's the kind of guy that you have, you like him when you have him, but you're going to look to replace him at some point because he's just not good enough in coverage. And if you look at this, the, the Steelers let him play out his fifth-year option. He signed a one-year deal last year to resign for $2.5 million. He just signed a deal with the Eagles that only guarantees him at signing $600,000. I mean, I'm sure he'll make the team, but it's not a lock. He's got to he's got to yeah. show that he could do some some things in in coverage a little bit. Look, you have to, you can't just play the run and, and and you just can't play the run at safety. That's not that's not today's NFL. It's different from when I first started covering league. There was one deep safety and one box safety. It's no right. longer like that. It's more split safety, interchangeable safeties, and Edmonds is going to have to cover a little bit. All right, Adam Kaplan, we are now, I think, 25 days away from the draft, something like that, less than four weeks away. The Eagles currently stand at pick 10. Thank you, New Orleans Saints, and pick 30. Uh, I guess it's a two-part question. A, do you anticipate they'll stay at 10? A lot of rumors that they could move down. And if they do, give us, you know, a couple of names that you think make sense there. All right, so the popular narrative is that they'll trade from 10. Remember, they have two firsts, a second, a third. They don't have a four, five, or six. So to trade down from 10, 
get a player that could eventually start down the road, whether it's a tackle uh, or guard Skronsky, the, the guard tackle, probably will play guard in the NFL, right tackle or guard from Northwestern. Uh, a corner, boy, the thing is, and they have, they're pretty much locked into these two veteran corners through 24 after that that could get out of both contracts. But one of the things that's made the Eagles and Harry Roseman in his second iteration as a GM coming back in 2016 He's done a really good job of looking towards the future and not relying on older players just to carry the load for several years and have those younger players come in. Well, now would be the time because they, this team's going to be very good if everybody's healthy, relatively healthy. In 24, they'll probably be picking in the 20s. And in the 20s, you can't, you're talking about usually a lower-level starter. So to me, Glenn, to answer your question, this is where you start. If you trade down, Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State is a really good corner. Uh, Now, what we don't know is with Sean Desai, you mentioned him, the D coordinator, does he want to play a little bit more man coverage than the matchup zone that the Eagles play? Uh, Brian Branch is a really talented safety. Boy, the Eagles, I know they never address safety in the first round. Uh, Jeff Mosher, my my partner, said he he basically would pass out if they drafted a safety in the first round. (laughs) He's like that. I mean, Jeff's like they just never address safety, and he's right. Well, I can't remember the last time they did, if they ever did. They did in second round. It was, unfortunately, Jaquan Jackson Temple. Well, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, they once drafted Ryan Dawkins in the second round. That was good. Yeah, Yeah. in terms of first round, I I can't think of a time they did in their history. Maybe there is. Right. So Brian Branch would be a good trade-down candidate. So you ask for a couple names. Those would be the guys that I look at. And then... Paris Johnson, who's a tackle, who played left tackle this past season at Ohio State. You know, it's, it, the thing for him is, can he play both positions? Because Lane Johnson's locked in. Now, remember, he had his contract restructured, and he got a rate, he got more guaranteed money. Not that you want to tackle sitting, and maybe he could, Paris Johnson could play, could play guard. Because you know the Eagles, right when you think a guy can only play one position on the offensive line, they wind up playing several, and Jeff Stoughton's like that. But at some point, they really have to look towards the future. All right, Adam, completely unfair question, but you're man enough to take it on, so thank you very much for that. What date is it legitimate for Eagle fans to go, "Uh uh-oh, when the Jalen Hurts contract extension has not gotten done? Tomorrow, next week, next month, sometime in June, training camp. Give me a general date that when the Eagles haven't gotten the Jalen Hurts contract done, because if you listen to Howie Roseman, Nick yep. Sirianni, and uh, Jeffrey Laurie this past week in Arizona, uh, Jalen Hurts might be the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> uh, they talked him up a blue streak, and I give him credit for it because they might be costing the organization money by going with the hyperbole they were throwing around. So now they need to get this done. When do we hit that uh-oh moment if it's not? First day of training camp, I'll tell you why. Talking to veteran quarterbacks over the years, they don't like to be bothered with this in training camp. Remember Alex Smith one time, who was getting extension done, I remember him saying to the media that he was going to shut the talks off because he didn't want to deal with it. And you hear that a lot over the years, that guys, they just want to keep dealing with it and being dealing with it in training camp and have the agent. In this case, Nicole Lynn, this, this will be our first big contract in terms of quarterback. She also has Quinn Williams, the star defensive tackle, who will get – when he gets his deal with the Jets, we'll get a major deal. So this is a deal It's going to be interesting because we've got the Joe Burrow situation. Well, he gets extension and Justin Herbert. Does Nicole Lynn decide to wait until those deals get done to see what the landscape looks like, or does she want to be the first one in? That's a big question. But to, to wrap this up, guys, we don't want Jalen Hurts. If you're the Eagles and, and the front office, Howie Roseman and, and Jeffrey Lurie, you don't want him to have to deal with this at the starting uh, of training camp in no. late July. So that. No. 
they'll never they'll never come out with a deadline. But to me, if you and I, Jody, were doing a deal, we don't want them to have to deal with that. So it'll be the first day of training camp. Very tough. All right, last last one for me, Adam Kaplan. Is Josh Harris going to end up being the next owner <laughs> of the Washington Commanders? He's got a real shot because remember now <sighs> he was one of the finalists his his ownership group for the Broncos, mm-hmm. and he's got this great group, and he brought in Magic. Johnson be the front man, just like Magic was with the Dodgers ownership group to help them out. They got a real shot to do it. And, you know, it's funny because there's this running joke in, in, in the league that the longer Daniel Snyder owns the team, the longer they'll struggle. And it's really happened with with all the, the nonsense that's happened with that organization and so few wins, so few playoff wins over the last couple of decades. It's, he's got a real shot to do it, to answer your question. Yeah, as a Sixers fan, I hate that, but there you go. Jody, you got you got one more? Um, just that the fact that, uh, I guess, Josh, keep dragging your feet because the longer Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Stein owns those uh, commanders, yeah, it's a team the Eagles shouldn't have to worry about next year. So go, go Josh Harris. Just take yeah. your sweet time about it. Well, Adam Kaplan, it's a pleasure. We've got to have you more often. I uh, okay. love following you everywhere, and uh, nice to talk to you, my friend. Guys, thank you. Thanks, right, Adam. Take, take care. Smart guy. Very smart guy. He is, and he knows Eagles inside out. And I, I love him, but he didn't answer my question. Uh, so I guess I'll put it to you. Here was when when I uh, found out about the Edmund signing because I know Edmund is a good player, but again, and and I'm a Gannon guy. You're you you weren't a Gannon detractor the way I wasn't a Gannon hater, but I found that defense very frustrating at times. Right, understood. Uh, I was a bigger fan than than you and and most Eagle fans, and I think he may very well be missed. But I liked the Sean Desai hiring since you had to have somebody, and I thought he was as good a candidate as anybody else who was out there. But I was almost buoyed by the fact that. Uh, they they signed Edmonds when they did because one of the things that I did hold against Gannon was I thought he was too stringent, that he was that guy. Yes. We, we talked yes. about so much that he needs his type of players in his system that he was almost limiting his system, that I have this way of playing defense and that I'm not even going to try and put any kind of square peg in a round hole. No, unless it's a finely tuned, perfect fit, it's not going to work for me. And that didn't annoy me a little bit. So when they signed Edmonds, and he's not a fit, even though we continue to be told that it's going to be the uh, same defense that it was last year and they're going to have the same core values and there's not going to be much change, just going to be a little bit different. When they made that signing, I said, Maybe there's more flexibility in the Eagle defense this year. Maybe Sean Desai isn't going to be as strident and you must do it this way or it's the highway for you. I don't know if it's going to play that way, but at least played that way in my mind and on paper. I hope that's the case because I'd like to see the Eagle defense. I, I understand they're a Fangio defense and they're not going to be drastic changes, but maybe just a little bit more flexibility. I, I Maybe that was optimistic, but I thought I uh, noticed that in the Edmund signing. Uh, it would follow. It's not a big time signing, so I don't want to take too much out of it. Right. You know, again, he may be a guy that's here and then he disappears, and so it doesn't prove to be the case. But if you want to, uh, I would say it's a chip of evidence on your side, but not a truck full. Right. Yeah. It has All yet right. to be determined. We got to wait till they get out there on the field, and we yeah. ran out of time with Adam. Um, I did want to ask him about the other state who became available in the last forty-eight hours, Ryan Neal was uh, let out of his contract tender by the Seahawks. 
good young safety filled in for Jamal Adams yeah. in Seattle when they got hurt. They had tendered him for a specific round. He's a free agent, but they could match, right to match if they did. And they did away with that because when you do that, the money counts against the cap. Yeah. So to free up some cap money, you remove a tender for a guy which makes him a full-fledged free agent. Did play for Desai last year in Seattle, so he knows the player and is a little bit more of a, um athletic coverage-type safety. My whole, hey, Edmonds will be the dawning of a, a slightly tinkered with Eagle defense could go by the boards if they make a play for this guy, Ryan Neal. Good name to watch. Good stuff. Drew and Brumall is with us. Hey there, Drew. Hey, Glenn, Jody. How are we doing, guys? Good, bud. Doing great. Good. Um, got a trade for you guys, I think. Well, what, else, what do you have before that? You got something else? I just want to talk Phillies. I mean, sure. I'm not it, – it's it's game. It's the second game of the season. Like, yeah, it sucks that we got killed yesterday, but, I mean, I'm nowhere near hitting the panic button. As you should not be. Good for you. All right, what's um, the best trade in the last 30 years? Recency bias. You guys might see this as kind of recency bias, but, I mean, the 18th overall pick last year for A.J. Brown. I mean, he changed our good. entire <laughs> offense and was a giant reason we got to the, the Super Bowl. I, I, Drew, I, Joe, I didn't even think of that. Um, and, and part of it is because – I want to see how that plays out. Who'd they take? They took the other receiver with the 18th pick, right? Who had a pretty yeah. good rookie? Oh, yeah, they, they took a, a rookie wide receiver. He was okay. Yeah, he had some injury issues, but uh, played well as this, better as the season went on. And and Tennessee might be okay in the long run, but short term, oh, my God, what an advantage. Yeah, no is. doubt. No doubt. I, that's It's funny because when I think of trades, I don't think of now. I think of past, but that's actually that's actually a pretty good one. And just Let a quick me, go ahead. Just a quick mm-hmm. aside in addition to that. And again, not trying to knock Howie Roseman because I'm a big Howie fan. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Uh they did attempt to get the wide receiver from Atlanta who decided to bet and got suspended for the entire year. Who's he on now? Damn, I can't I think can't think of his name. I can't think of the team that he landed on. Why am I forgetting this? Macman, help me out here. Uh, the, the Falcon wide receiver got suspended an entire year oh, because uh, he got caught gambling. Yeah, just got just got moved. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just got moved. It, they wanted him, and if they had traded for, if they had gotten him, they wouldn't have got uh, AJ right. Brown. And Christian Kirk, who they desperately liked in free agency last year, the Jaguars came in, blew the top off. Calvin Ridley. That's a, Calvin that's, Ridley. Thank that's you very what we're much. Thinking of. Yes. They wanted Ridley first. They couldn't get Ridley. They wanted Christian Kirk second. They couldn't get Christian Kirk. So they kind of backed into A.J. Brown on draft day. And, oh, my God, was he the best of all the options. But he was not their first option last year. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. <laughs> yes, you're right. Lucky lucky works well when you get yeah, it. Yeah, lucky is tremendous when it goes your way. All right, I'm supposed to hit a break, but I cannot keep this person waiting because we love Linda from Bella, who joins <sighs> us now. Linda, how are you? I know you called me this week. I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. That's anyway, all right. Everything come out all right. We go back in six months and do the same Good. thing all over again. I'm fine. Uh, you boys know how I'm nuts about my baseball. Jody Mack, I mentioned your name last night, and I have to tell you, you have the best darn guests on your show. I love when you have baseball people on. Because Appreciate you that. had a guy on, and I can't remember, honey, who it was. 
Steve Gardner, USA Today, he was very good. Thank you for noticing. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, a, a gentleman come on about 10 days ago, and he said in regards to the Phillies pitching, the Phillies are afraid uh, they're getting uh, people hurt, so they're bringing up everybody from the low minors to pitch because they want their starters healthy for opening day. I don't know if you remember this or not, but I heard it. And they aren't the only ones that did it. But the thing is, it shows. And the pitch clock is already in Noah's head. I would not have started him the first day because him and Wheeler hate the clock. So they got to get over that or they're going to stink all year. You understand me? Um, I do. But I got the baseball. I hope you're putting it on them, not on baseball, not on Rob Tom. That's on them. They're aces. I called them both aces. I've got out on a limb, and people, oh, no, they're not really an ace. It's a one and a one. I call them both aces. Neither one of them look like an ace, and if it is the pitch clock, shame on both of them, not the Phillies, not the manager, not baseball. That's on them to be ready for the season. Well, that's how I feel. But a few things, uh, there's a free preview of the uh, major league extra innings, and you can get every game you want till the sixth of uh, April. I got the me, package. Linda, let me ask you a question. I know you do. On a on a good day, you got nothing going on, nothing uh, pressing. How many games will you watch? <gasps> oh, I watched four yesterday, but I wanted to give you a few. Uh, where do you see Garrett Cole? <gasps> oh my gosh! Yeah, this got my mouth dropped. That's, I don't know what the hell he's throwing, but they're going after it, whatever. And by the way, where do you see all the guys that chase the high pitch? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Arizona, you'll like this story, and then I'll let you go because I know you have a lot of people. You and we have popular. a break. we got to hit, but go ahead. Um, Arizona has a pitcher named Scott McDowell who pitched eight innings, eight Eight. In the major leagues in in United States, they plucked him from Japan, and this guy I love him. He throws one of them balls what lands in the dirt, and everybody's swinging at it. Anyway, I I can't tell you how much I love baseball. Catch the Marlins jerseys. Lynn, we I love, love talking you. to you. I gotta go. I'm so bye, late bye, for bye. break. They're gonna fire us. Bye bye. I love See you. Linda. There you go. That woman watches and is an authority on more baseball, Jody, than almost anybody I know. And I did watch the Yankees on opening day, and Garrett Cole was dominating, Stone Cold dominating. And, yes, the Phillies are going to get him either Tuesday or Wednesday. Don't know which yet, but uh, they're going to have to face him here in the second series. I think a win today would do a lot to alleviate everybody's fears. That's Uh, what I'm saying. Bailey Falter is going to have to come through big today. And he's one of the guys I was optimistic about before the season started. So, uh, yes, Bailey, don't let us down. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four with Jody McDonald. I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Jody McDonald, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Jody, I'm going to go back and call it a second. But just one thing I read this week really bugged me. So the Los Angeles Angels uh, started their season Thursday in Oakland. And... Did not bring the team's radio broadcasters with them. 
Mark Langston, by the way, former pitcher, is one of them. A guy named Terry Smith. They don't travel for road games anymore. You know, they started in COVID with with pretty much everybody. It was necessary. But the Angels have stayed that way. The Toronto Blue Jays have stayed that way. I worry that this is a trend that teams are not going to send their broadcasters on games. And I just think it's bad for sports. Curious if you have an opinion. Absolutely the same. Um, And, again, it's our livelihood. We're broadcasters. Uh, Different type of broadcaster, different job. But there, there is a tie between us and the other broadcasters. And they've still got jobs. It's not like anybody's losing out on any paydays. But uh, you and I put in effort every single time. We crack the mic and come prepared and be ready for it. And we want to do the best job that we can. And I'm sorry, you just cannot do as good a job doing a game off a television monitor as you can if you're there. You're missing out on things, little things that happen on the field, maybe off the field. Uh, maybe you can get a look into a dugout that you can't get because a camera is not perfectly placed for you to be able to make the comments. So, yeah, it's just it, – it will for me, it will never match up as far as quality of broadcast if an announcer is not in a venue. Yeah, I know – like Merrill and Mike had to do it during the pandemic and for a little bit of a time after the pandemic, right? Because nobody was traveling. Merrill hated it. He hated it. He, sure. he likes to be there. He he likes the elements. He opens the window, lets in the cold. It's you know, he wants to be immersed in the experience. And I think every broadcaster wants that. Everybody who calls a game wants that. You want to be at the game. So yeah, I just I found that a troubling thing when I saw it. All right. Who's up next? Jamal Northeast is with us. Hey, Jamal. Gentlemen, I want to say hello to my all-time favorite show on WIP. Hello. How are you? Appreciate that, Jamal. Definitely. Jody, before I go any further, I got to ask you a quick question. What do you think about my Florida State Seminoles this upcoming season? Uh, Football-wise? Definitely. Okay. Um, They they got a chance to be a a team that goes to a major bowl. Do I think they can make the uh, Final Four football playoff? I'm not ready to go there yet. No. Okay. I haven't been this excited since since Bobby left. So, you know, I'm really excited. Good for you. I trust trust your expertise. Uh, Quick question on the Sixers. Jody, uh, for the last two years, I think the bench has straight out stunk. Um, I want to ask you about three gentlemen and give me your honest opinion as to why they haven't been given a chance. Because all I want these three guys to do is just give us points off the bench. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, Tariq Evans, and Michael Beasley. All I want is points off the bench. I'm not asking them to be what they were or what they once be, or, or what they were, I should say. But why is it that they cannot get a chance in the NBA? All of them have uh, reasons for not being in the NBA. And Cousins at one time was a phenomenal player. and Beasley was a phenomenal scorer. But there's a reason why they've been out of the league for a while. And if you're suggesting that the Sixers should have or still could, and still could not happening with five games to go in the regular season, um, yeah, no. Not so, much, not so much for this season, for, for next season. For future for season. season. All right, let's, let, let's see what they do during the offseason. If they have uh, individual workouts and uh, come out and prove themselves to teams, Sixers or anyone else otherwise, if they can still do it. Uh, Beasley's a good, good couple of years removed from, so I would be surprised by that. But Cousins was in the league this year, so maybe he's got something left to his game. Jamal, do you have a fill- uh, Jamal, we got to run. Do you have a, uh, a best trade in town since 1992? The best trade I could think of, I'm going to say Jay Ajayi because he, he got you a championship. That's the best Jay one. Jay Ajayi was good, and they got him for a late, late draft pick. 
Yeah, it was he, a short he career here, but it was a nice one. contributed to a championship. I like the way he stated it because yeah. he did. He wasn't the main reason, but he was a, a, a key cog to that Eagle championship team. That's very fair. I love that running back combo they had, him and LeGarrette Blunt and um, what the heck's his name? The Corey Clement. Kid. Clement, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that – was, None of those guys were long-termers. None of those guys were stars. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt had the opportunity to be a star. Well, I guess a guy at some point. But they all came in here as role players and all did it so well. And didn't you know the Eagles are going to have that this upcoming year with Trey Sermon being one of those key guys? Coach, did, coach did you see the coach go loves, off on yeah. him the other day? Holy yeah. mackerel. You made I, I, the Pro Bowl. Make, make Pro Bowl reservations for the competition out I, in Vegas next year, Trey. I, it's, it's funny because they signed Rashad Penny, right? And he's a guy who's been hurt most of his career. When he's not, his numbers are great. If he can stay healthy here behind this line, he could be great. I've always liked Boston Scott as a role player. I think he, he fits the role really nicely. And Gainwell improved so much during the year, I didn't even have Sermon in my conversation. <laughs> the coach did. I know. He I, talked I, him up a blue streak out there in Arizona. What do you, what do you, I mean, you think he's uh, – there's always motive. You think he's really buying that? He's selling I, it. Is he buying I, it? He was, Yeah. I, I, I was kind of taken aback by it because – in a way, you, he was almost throwing himself under the bus because he was so glowingly singing his praises on how dominant he was in practice. How do you not get him into a game? If, if he's that good, if he's opening your eyes that much, how do you go, yes, yeah, sorry, Boston, we got to sit you this week. I got to get this kid some touches because he's just flat out killing our defense in practice, as limited as practice is. I, I, I was, like, listening to the coach uh, watch the uh, tape afterward, and I had to roll it back again and say, is he really going this heavy on Trey Sermon as this back uh, football-changing type back? I was pretty surprised by it, Mac, man. Yeah, me too. Aaron in Norristown is with us. Wants to talk about the Eagles off season. What are you thinking, Aaron? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you doing? So I wanted to Great. actually talk about a potential move. And then also give you a trade, so a pending trade and, a, and the best trade that they that they've made. Sure. Um, I like the signing of Catavius Street on the defensive line. I think he's doing the best, but I still think how he has that one splash move left in him. And you know Jeffrey Simmons is going to be traded, and you know he's perfect. He's 25 years old. He's a two-time Pro Bowl second-team guy. He's, he's played in the playoffs, going to the championship game. What do you think of the chances of how he? getting a Jeffrey Simmons from the Tennessee Titans, a team that we've already fleeced A.J. Brown from. Can he do it again with, with Jeffrey Simmons? <laughs> Take advantage of the Titans again. Well, would love it. Uh, cap situation with not knowing what the Hurts deal is going to be. I think Simmons is too expensive. Love the player. Love the idea. But I just don't see the, the feasibility of it working they've, under the they've cap. Cl- they've cleared up money. But, but Howie's done miracles. I, I got more faith in Howie because he's deserved it, bringing two different teams to t- Super Bowls in five years. Maybe he could pull it off. I would love to see it. Okay. But, Maybe. And it is it is a real saga down there going on with his contract. And I guess his agent is now tweeting stuff about it. So they're. I think you're right in that they're going to move him. And. Boy, he is a guy who could help the Eagles, but as Jody says, Say Glenn, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So appreciate it. The best, What's the trade? Best, best trade, I think, that has been mentioned would have to be Jason Peters. Yes. Um, and I even, well, I even middle questioned round you pick, if you could right? tell me who they traded for him, the player they got rid of to get him in a three-way trade. There was a player in the deal. I the don't player and a pick. That. Oh, they gosh. They traded a fourth-round pick with the Niners and another yeah. team, I think, and, and – uh, 
this and Bills, and they gave up a player and a, and a fourth and a fourth round pick. The player I remember the Brandon, pick. I don't. Who was the player? Brandon Whiting. Oh, okay. okay. That's All right. Oh, sorry. Let him go. Didn't remember that. You know what I remember about Brandon Whiting? What's that? Uh, when I did the show with uh, Anthony back in the day. And uh, I, Brandon Whitey must have had a game or something. We decided, let's you know see if we can get him as a guest. And he called in and had him as a guest. And I don't mean to be nasty. Worst guest that we ever had, just in terms of, like, you couldn't get a sentence out. Y- yes, no, answers. Yeah, y- you know, like, it, it's somebody you've never had and maybe you never even sure, talked to. And it's like you book him as a guest and, and, you know, like two minutes in, like, oh, this guy's not, not going to be good. And but, you don't want to be rude. But we wrap. We normally keep guests like eight, ten minutes, twelve if they're really good. I think Brandon Whiting was about four and a half. <laughs> I'm giving Anthony the like. Let's get out of here. Let's get been, out of here. Been there, done that. Uh, and let me just put this out there for Eagle fans for the next couple of weeks because uh, I've already dealt with it some on my uh, night shows and uh, on our uh, Birds 365 podcast and people streaming in and giving us their comments. Howie Roseman, great year. Unbelievable year, executive year in the National Football League. Uh, can't sing Howie's praises enough. He's not a miracle worker, okay? He, there, there are certain things that even Howie can't do, and people are leading up to the draft. Well, we're going to trade back from 10 to 15. You know there's got to be another team involved with that, right? You can't just wave your magic wand and say, here's where I want the Eagles to move back to in the draft so we can pick the perfect player and get value at the same time. There's got to be another team involved. And the way sometimes Eagle fans stated it's as if you can just opt into that position in the draft, then you can say, I'd like to pick at number 17. So that's where the Eagles are going to pick. How he's got to get somebody to agree to a trade to be able to make something like that happen. So when you're laying out your perfect scenario for the Eagles in the upcoming draft, just remember how he can't force another team to make a trade with him. It has to be something that works for both teams. Yeah, and part of the irony of this, of course, is it was a year ago, at uh, two years ago, whatever, that uh, many people, I don't want to say everybody, but many people like, you uh, got to fire Howie. Howie's the worst. He's <laughs> terrible. He's inept. He's incompetent. Now he's, now Jody, he lays hands on people and heals them. Yeah, does can do no wrong. Yeah, okay. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We'll get a couple of calls in, and then we will find out from Francisco Rojas, what we forgot to talk about. Is it Tom Kelly following us today? I believe it is. Love a Tom Kelly show. That's after us. Jody McDonald, Glenn Mack now. With Jody McDonald, I'm Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. Phil's Texas Rangers. It's a, what, a 4 o'clock start today, right? I should have looked before I actually. No, finish. night game. Sunday night oh, well, that's baseball. Right. It's, oh, action. yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. It's, it's, uh, it's Sunday night baseball. Sweet. Yep. Uh, Perez for Texas, who's not a bad pitcher at all. And the Phillies got Jody's favorite, uh, Bailey Falter. Bailey Falter. Young left hander trying to work his way into a steady rotation job. Uh, Tom Kelly is up after us. I hear he has some thoughts on the Phillies bullpen. We'll talk. He, he will talk about that. Meanwhile, we'll talk to Matt in Ridley. Hello, Matt. Love to say it, boys, but long time caller, long time listener. Thank you, thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. And I caught your uh, the beer show last night. Actually, it was pretty good. Thank you. All right, Jody. Uh, one thing about Jody, he enjoys beer. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, so I hate to bash Howie. It's hard to. But it just seems like sometimes they don't do the obvious thing and, you know, get the right players back. 
mean, he said he wasn't going to bring back, um, you know, um, Slay, the older guys, and they ended up oh, bringing yeah. back Graham and um, Fletcher. Cox. Cox, is, Cox is the one at that salary that I raised my eyebrow. Same here. Yeah. And CJ, you know, GJ, they didn't get him, which – I don't know. It just seems like an obvious thing to do. So let me, let, let me follow up on that because I'm kind of yeah. with you, and I liked him and thought he had a really good season and provided energy, and I thought for sure when free agency started, like, oh, he's a guy's definitely coming back. He left, and there was like this revisionist thing, like, hey, he wasn't that good anyway, and he didn't mean that much. And I, I got to be honest, I would have taken him for the future over Slay. And listen, Slay's a Pro Bowl player, but getting I would older, have rather kept him over Slay. Yeah, and... I, I would have too. And yeah. it just seems like we're on a on a small island. Jody, I don't know what you think about that, but I, it's what, I'm with Matt yeah. on that one. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I, like, look, I look just, at it. So, oh, let me th- uh, I'll interject then. We'll let you make the point. Um, here's the difference. I really do believe it was a financial decision more than anything else. And here's where I can't fault Howie on it. He just got a one-year make-good, $6.5 million deal. It wasn't like the rest of the league was knocking down his door to True. sign him. The, the whole safety market came up small this year. Bates, the kid from Cincinnati, is the only one who got paid. Everybody else, uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson only signed for 500000 more than Epps. And Epps got a two-year deal. So yeah. if you're saying how he misjudged the market, well, no, he didn't. Because he only signed for $6.5 million on a one-year deal, and the Eagles offered him three. So what was uh, how he supposed to do? Blatantly no, overpay him? You're, you're right. I'm, uh, And I can't rip Howie. I just I would rather have had him here than Slay. Yes, the circumstances dictated it, but what can you do? If he misjudged right. the market, it's, it seems like he misjudged it as well on bringing back our older players, which he clearly said he wasn't going to do. But I think sometimes when you do that, you can – it can still work out in your favor. You forget the market, bring back the player because you know he's got a solid future here. He's younger versus bringing back the older players where they only got one more year left. Like yeah, Brandon. I, I hear you. I mean, and, and yeah, thank you. we, we got to go, but I, I hear you. I, I have no problem with Brandon Graham coming back, uh, particularly that salary. I think how they used him last year and will continue to as a rotational guy. I think he can still be very productive. Yep. Cox at 10 million. And I know he had good numbers last year. I'm I'm not sure about that one, Jody. Here's the, the – I can give you the spin. Um, Fletcher came in at $4 million last per year than he made the year before, where he was blatantly overpaid at $14 million. So I don't <laughs> buy the whole we got him for less argument. Yeah, I'll no. tell you what Fletcher Cox has got to do. Uh, when the Eagles play the 49ers this year, he better take Javon Hargrave out for dinner. Even though Javon is making more money and can more afford it, he made Fletcher Cox the contract that he did by going yeah, out did. the door. Because yeah. they lost Hargrave, they almost felt the we can't afford to lose Fletcher dilemma, and that's why Fletcher got as much as he did at $10 million. Yeah, you're probably right. Those of you on hold, and I appreciate you, we're not going to be able to get to you, but stick around because Tom Kelly is going to want to talk about those issues. Meanwhile, we are going to check in now with Francisco Rojas and find out what did we forget to talk about today. All right, guys. Well, so on today is what? Well, hold on. Jody, Francisco plays the soundtrack, and I admire that a lot. I love it. I do it for you guys. Come on. Thanks. All right. So, uh, so first up on today, what we forgot to talk about, 
Um, we've been talking about the pitch clock and, you know, the shortening of the games, um, you know, so far this year. And with last night, Cleveland, uh, the Guardians played the Seattle Mariners. Um, and in a 2 nothing win for the Guardians, it was a two-hour and four-minute uh, game, which is ne- – so far, the fastest game of the year. I'm probably it's probably not going to be the fastest, you know, by the end of the season, but uh, definitely the fastest uh, so far this weekend. Could Whoa, there boy, be Jody Mack? Could th- could there be a game this year that comes in under two hours? If they played one in two oh four, you only got to shave five more minutes. So yeah, that's not an impossibility. Wow. And and, and there were eight hits and seven uh, pitching changes. So it wasn't like you know it was uh, a straight up like you know. Uh, Ace yeah. versus eight pitchers duel, right? So I mean, there was there was a lot going on. So um, not a huge offensive game, but still a lot going on. Um, so next, and Jody, you'll appreciate this. Um, George Kittle was on WrestleMania. Oh, last night. I saw him last I, night. I'm <laughs> sure I saw you saw him last him. night. Lay it, out so. the biz. Yeah. So that was uh, that was that. I thought that was uh, definitely uh, noteworthy to mention. Um, and last one. Wait, hold on. How oh, did he look, Jody? He uh, uh, gave me. Uh, Blow that just knocked the Miz's legs out. He, uh, what? I'm Didn't he and McAfee like work together? Yeah. Oh, it was uh, the NFL against the Miz. Uh, two former NFL players. Well, Kittle is still present day NFL player, but yeah, two football players got together and beat up on the host of WrestleMania, the Miz. Cool, okay. cool. All right. So, <laughs> what else? Oh, yeah. So, last one. Uh, so, Kyrie Irving, obviously, within the last few months, gets traded in the Mavericks blockbuster trade. Um, and in their last seven games, one in six, and they are officially uh, out of the play-in tournament uh, wow. right now. So look at that. Trade for Kyrie, and just absolutely, uh, it's been terrible. He is a franchise destroyer. There, he, an, an incredible talent, Jody Mack, uh, just generationally great player, but just uh, a, a knucklehead and a guy who helps destroy teams. And, and the best nickname I've seen for Kyrie, and they'll appreciate it here in Philadelphia, World Be Flat. <laughs> I like never heard that. I love that. Never heard that uh, one before? No, that's yeah, that's great. Kyrie. We'll be flat. That's great. Uh Francisco, terrific job by you today. Thank you so much. Jody Mack, always a pleasure. What's your next time on WIP, Jody? Uh that would be Monday night after the Phillies game, and they better not oh, yeah. be 0 4 because I oh, do gosh, not want to no. do a show with the people jumping off bridges if they're 0 4 at that time. Well, I thought we did a decent job of talking him back today. Tom Kelly is coming up next. You want to listen to him. Everybody have a great day. Stay tuned right here to 94 WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.